0: to this first episode of the Retro Mecha podcast. I'm your host Ian and I'm here with my friend Craig. Say hello Craig.
1: Hello. How's How things?
0: You? Very well thanks. How are you? Yeah pretty good
2: yeah. It's been a good weekend. Cool. bit sort of a uh, frantic at the beginning but calmed down a bit now thankfully.
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah I think we on. both had one of those this weekend haven't we? <laughs> sorry, right so uh, here we are talking about robot anime. So those of you listening to this probably aware of What Craig and I do elsewhere on Twitter. So for the last fifteen or so months, I've been running a podcast called the Retro Anime Podcast, where we look at sort of generic anime from the '60s to the '90s. And Craig, tell us about what you do with your blog.
2: Well, uh, basically, I just sort of um, wanted to kind of bring more people to 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 older anime, really. You know, sort of just get uh, more all the titles more out there and. Have people uh, recognize them a little bit more, you know, make make them a bit more visible, I guess. So I try to introduce the people to stuff they they might not necessarily know about, especially going back to like, uh, you know, a bit further back than the 80s, maybe like the sort of 70s. Talked about a few cuts uh, shows like uh, Kashan and things like that, and just yeah, just I suppose just raise a little aware, bit of awareness and sort of talk about why I still sort of appreciate a lot of this older stuff.
0: So that's kind of where the genesis of the uh, of this podcast started with. So earlier in the year after about, I think I got first, like the second episode out, Craig got in touch, Craig was just kicking off uh, his blog, mm-hmm. Anime Heads Retro World, and um, we kind of got talking, because our mission statements for what it's I was doing sweetener. on my podcast yeah. and what you were doing on, on your exactly, blog were yeah. the same thing, it was kind of bringing awareness and bringing... We were just
2: doing it in different mediums
0: really, weren't we? We were, yeah. So over the year, we got talking on, on Twitter <laughs> and you know, and we both ended up discovering that we both had a, a real fondness yeah. for uh, Mecca. Absolutely,
2: yeah, and it was, and you know, once, once we got sort of talking and uh, just found that we had so many sort of interests in common, it just seemed like it sort of had no-brainer to do some sort of project, didn't it? It did. And eventually we talked about, well, why don't we do a sort of companion piece to to uh, on to the podcast, and here we are.
0: <laughs> and here we are, so uh, <laughs> we talked and then... Um, I think some of us who follow us on Twitter will see. And we actually, when Hyper Japan, we actually went up and met up in London while yes. you were down from um, from Newcastle's, and then we talked about that and the project bill and we started to flesh it out. So over the last probably eight weeks, we've been uh, there's been a lot yeah. of planning and discussion been, to get yeah. here, haven't we? So <laughs>
2: <laughs> definitely, yeah.
0: So, the order's um, so been long. <laughs> so now we're here. So I'll start to give a, a bit of a background to uh, what we want to do. So Yeah, sure. So we are the Retro Mecha Podcast. So we want to look at really, uh, you know, the golden era of mecha anime, which really is yeah, kind absolutely. of stems from the early mid-70s up until the mid-90s. So yeah. we're going to look at everything within that era.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think that, um, you know, there might be a, a little bit of scope for for doing some sort of older stuff, but it's uh, for the most part it's going to be 70s to the 90s, isn't it? Yeah. You know, was, there's things like Tetsujin 28 and things out like that they were a bit earlier, but you know, so 70s is where the golden age truly began, isn't it? You know, all the Super Robot stuff and that. So I'm uh, I'm looking forward to going through a lot of these because um, I mean Ian's a lot more learned on the subject than I am, especially with Super Robot stuff. I think he's seen a lot more than I have. Mm. So um, it'll be interesting going through a lot of these uh, shows, especially with the fact that we're going to be covering. Uh, lots of different iterations of the same franchise. You know, we talked about doing a whole series, if the series has sequels or reboots or new iterations, doing those, the OVAs, the movies, that sort of stuff. So I think that um it's going to be... Uh, fantastic, we just actually have an excuse and sit down and watch all this stuff. Yeah. Maybe.
0: <laughs> Any excuse is a good excuse, and, and an excuse to then be <laughs> able to talk about it for a few hours as well is an even better excuse. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely.
2: I mean, when we were talk, talking in the pub, um, it's just before uh, Hyper Japan, um, I was saying, you know, it's it's great to actually just be talking to somebody else about this stuff just in person, never mind doing a podcast about it. So uh, the fact that we actually get a turn at the show is just, it's just sort of a bonus, really.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely is. So... As Craig says, we we'll, are gonna cover franchises so we'll probably we'll look at a franchise over two or three episodes, depending on what content there is within that franchise. Yeah. Uh, we'll we don't spread it out over that. you know, we won't we won't end up with a five hour podcast talking about Get A Robo or something like that. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> Which you could easily do, couldn't you, really?
0: So, um, we'll talk about a bit about our Mecha backgrounds. Sure. Mine's covered a bit in other podcasts, so Craig, I'll talk about mine in a minute. So, Craig, give us your history, your, your, how you started with Mecha Anime.
2: When I started with Mecha Anime, it was at a very similar time to starting with anime in general, really... I mean, uh, like a lot of people, I sort of grew up watching stuff that I didn't realise was necessarily anime, or at least animated in Japan, you know, I watched Battle of the Planets, which obviously we now know as Gatchaman. But uh, about, it was about in 93 that I started to to watch, um, you know, anime and be aware of what I was watching. My first, my first exposure to anything that was aimed at adults Alts was the Fist of the North Star movie, and that just totally blew my mind, like, I, I had that sort of culture shock of not realise, you know, not yeah. sort of knowing what I was yeah. letting myself in for, uh, when a friend of mine sort of brought it over. Uh, it wasn't long like after that that I was kind of I was squirreling money away to like buy like sort of manga UK tapes and I came in, and and uh, also releases from people like Kaseki and stuff like that. Mm, yeah. yeah. Um, and I came across strangely enough something we just discussed earlier today, which is Macross Two, <laughs> <laughs> which isn't the greatest introduction,
0: especially now <laughs> looking back at it. Absolutely. You know,
2: it, it seemed pretty cool at the time, but haven't seen the other iterations of Macross. Not quite all of them, but you know all the all the really good ones. It's just It just hasn't held up very well. But I love the sort of designs of the sort of Valkyries and, you know, like yeah. the character design and <clears> things like <throat> that. It hasn't held up well, but there you go. More favourably, uh, Gunbuster and Patlabor yeah. uh, were two of the other things that I watched first. And by hell if they sort of had held up well.
0: Yeah, Those <laughs> yeah. do have certainly held up well. Yeah, yeah, they
2: certainly have held up well. But, I mean, at the time um, when I was first getting into um, anime in general, I used, to, I used to have a glass collecting job. Um, because I was like 15 at the time, or something, and uh, that's how I would I would go and, like do a couple of shifts in our local workmen's club that would give us the money to pay for me tips.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's how it's
2: always. So after two shifts, I could afford to buy a, a tip. <laughs> it was like six quid a shift back then. <laughs> Slave labour because I wasn't 16 yet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, but me, I my the habit was, uh, though, didn't
0: it? So uh...
2: yeah, absolutely. It was an expensive habit then and now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, my mum used to work uh, at a pub that was right next to a record shop, and they used to get all the Manga UK tapes in. Right. So she would she would quite often go and, like, pick a tape up for us when it was released. And uh, Dave, who ran the uh, record shop, Volume was its name. He used to know what she was coming in for.
1: Yeah.
2: Like, when she came in, he'd be like, Cyber City Volume 2? And she was like, Yeah. <laughs> because he knew the release dates so I mean he knew when she came in it was always when a new tape came out <laughs> so that was but yeah I, I, around that time you know I was reading Manga Mania in Anime UK and it was like a total it was like a real discovery and learning process back yeah, then you know yeah. like, learning about that stuff learned about all these franchises and that's how I learned about a lot of the mega stuff was uh, in, in Manga Mania and uh, in Anime UK there was just they had like sort of uh, profiles of like creators and stuff and then like profiles of franchises and like and there, I remember a very early show, of Mangamania talked about like the differences between a lot of shows. You know, talked about yeah, like Max yeah. was kind of space opera, uh, Partly of all was like a realistic kind of procedural with a bit of slice of life, and yeah. And I think so. I, le- I had
1: that
2: I had that thing from early on that there was a lot of different mecha out there.
1: Yeah.
2: And I think a lot of people kind of, <clears throat> you know, maybe if they're not that into mecha, they kind of view it all as being the same, and it's really not the case.
0: No. That's no, there's, there's that, variation think, in it. Yeah. There's I'm more variation than people different. appreciate. It, it is a frustration. People just think it's it is all the same. Yeah, there are a lot of tropes, but mm-hmm. if you look at magical girl anime, already. if you look at harem anime, the same tropes exist sort of like show, track, after yeah. show after show after show in those genres as well. So uh, yeah, it's it's what it's whatever you're into really.
2: Definitely, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so it, I was hooked back then, and I've never sort of looked back. You know, I've always been into uh, anime and manga in general, I mean, I collect a lot of manga too, and, you know, it's just, uh, it's never been something that's went away for me, um, yeah. I've always just, um, I mean, sci- I was always into sort of sci-fi and robots, stuff. going back to, like, the Transformers,
1: yeah. yeah, you know, that
2: was, like, the first thing I remember being quite obsessed about robots, I mean, obviously, I loved, I've always loved me films and things as well, so, sort of, Hollywood films are a bit of an influence in that, but, but with the Transformers was the beginning of the kind of obsession, I think. And I still think, you know, that the sort of very 80s designs of that show will sort of look really good. You know, the kind of you can see the Super Robot influence in the Transformers.
0: Yeah, absolutely. With, you know, with the more have,
2: humanoids looking uh, yeah, characters. Yeah, there's
0: it. very clear Super Robot influence in Transformers. Um, mm. that's, that's really obvious. Yeah. I mean, for us in the UK, um, you know, we didn't get Robotech or Voltron.
2: Yeah, and we still haven't got the original Macross 20. 20- Twenty-five years later.
0: Yeah, so you know, uh, our introduction. Yeah, so our you know, for a UK fan introduction into Mecca anime, it was very different to all the syndication stuff that mm. the you know that happened in the in America. It was a US syndication that got me in. Uh, you know, I've talked before when Getter G was part of the uh, Jim Terry Force Five syndication as Star Sure, that's you know, that's what I saw in '83. And I just love the robots. You know, I've seen Battle of the Planets um, mm-hmm. earlier, Ulysses before that. But then Star Avengers was, you know, sure. completely. And I've talked before about Starfleet as well. Uh, you know, mm. that had the Diex, which was a big robot, combining robot. as Designed well, by Gonaga, wasn't it? Gona yeah. as well, exactly. So that sowed the seed. And then uh, the other big milestone for me, really, was when Dangaio got released Uh, because I just the robots in that are just phenomenal it's just such a good looking show even I look back now at the the sort of mangler release of it when they chopped most Mm. of the first (laughs) episode out and condensed it and it had all the ridiculous swearing and everything in um, but you know the robots in it and with the uh, release of the Japanese blu-ray finally got to see it in its proper episodic form but oh, i it just it really is a cool looking ova and i think that was the final thing that cemented it for me and then beyond that and we're both fans of the guyver as well and i think the power yes. suit stuff when yeah. that got released in the mid 90s you know that whole again the designs in the guyver are, are absolutely yeah. awesome and i think that was Fantastic, another thing yeah. the powered suit you know it was mm-hmm. it was something else that just sort of built on it so yeah, I mean, uh, for me, yeah, for me, for for Mecha, it was they were the kind of key stages, and then as stuff sure. got came out and fan subbed in the early two thousands, I, I, mean, I basically spent ten years just watching nothing but but Mecha anime. <laughs> so, uh,
2: see, I think that um, you know, I, I've always been uh, some somebody who just I think just enjoyed sort of anime manga in general, and enjoyed a lot of different genres. Yeah. But I will say that you know, over time, I think my scope's kind of expanded considerably. You know, there was. There was genres and things that I wasn't didn't enjoy very much that I kind of now do, and my horizons have expanded pretty significantly. But I was I was probably equally split between the kind of sci-fi stuff and you know things like Shonen and um, all sorts of stuff really. Yeah, I, um, mean,
0: I mean I always liked Fist of the North Star. I liked a lot of the um, sci-fi stuff as mm-hmm. well. Um, yeah, probably in the last five years I've I've really broadened um, broadened my horizons as well with with all the genres I watch, and all the classic stuff around the one half and all that sort of stuff i did watch mm-hmm. all of that um during the night yeah. you know but i would say 90 percent of my viewing from probably about 2002 to about 2013 mm-hmm. was probably 90 percent mega or <laughs> sci-fi really there was a lot of sci-fi in there as well but yeah i did watch a lot of you
2: say the, of the catalyst games. like um for you know obviously going back to like uh, early 2000s what was your exposure to like uh, to things like Gundam? Did you get into Gundam Wing?
0: Yeah, so that was uh, it. Yeah, so that I remember when that aired on on Toonami in the UK, that was. I remember mm-hmm. the um, actually, how I knew that was airing was that with Sky you used to send a magazine out every month, and oh, in, right. in the kids section at the back, it was it had this two-page article about Gundam Wing airing, and. Uh, <laughs> Who, uh, I was like, oh my god, there's a Gundam show airing in the UK. So
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the thing was, we you know we didn't get a lot of the uh, Co Network and Adult Swim pl- programming blocks until quite late on, did we? Yeah, that's right. So, so. a lot of the stuff that was on there, like uh, Cowboy Bebop and the like, mm. so you know the, the Americans had already been enjoying, like took quite a while to get over. We had a, can you remember a channel called CNX?
1: Yeah, that's
2: right. That we right, had yeah. over here. That had um, Bebop and Evangelion, and. Outlaw Star, and yeah,
0: yeah, I and had quite a few of those few ones. ones, yeah, Blue Gender as well. Like, I think I had on that.
2: There was a show hosted by uh, Jonathan Ross, on it called Psycho Exciting, where he talked about Japanese culture. Yeah, that was quite a good program. That it had a lot of sort of stuff about like tokusatsu and sort of kaiju movies and things like that. It was good, yeah. good show. Uh,
0: Sci-Fi Channel. I, I digress. <laughs> used to run a used to run a Saturday night block as well, because I remember mm. they did a Mecha special. That was the first time I saw Detonator Organ. Which instantly became my favourite anime of all time. So, uh, <laughs> right, <laughs> so, so you're
2: using, you're using money in UK, isn't it? That's oh, right. No. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> Any excuse to watch that. <laughs> <laughs> Our review format: what we're going to do is we're going to look specifically at the first episode and talk about the first episode and give that a rating. Because one of the things Craig and I have talked about through the year is actually how good or bad first episodes are in in various series so i think
2: that's important uh to kind of note especially um you know today when a lot of stuff's quite accessible and people kind of might drop stuff so drop a show after the first episode you know
0: um and that's one of the things that we've talked about how people do seem to watch an episode and it's like no i don't like that and that's it it's dropped so we want to we want to focus on and how good because this is a a lot of this stuff is really old (laughs) you know so how good is it how is it going to capture a modern audience
2: a modern so, audience's attention yeah
0: and then after that we're going to look at sort of blocks of episodes um, as we go through and then we'll yeah. talk about the plot the characters and what happens through the story to the yeah, end kind of and,
2: breaking it down into arcs
0: uh, yes exactly breaking it down yeah. into sort of chunks of arcs and then after that we're going to talk about you know the production the music um, and mm. kind of the context of where the show sits um, in the yeah. in the history of Mecha Anime so and then after that, we'll, we'll then give overall opinions of the of the series. So today we're going to review Invincible Superman Zambot Three. <laughs>
1: 勇気と力とが静かに眠る海の底飛び立て飛び立て飛び立て三つのメカが一つになって正義の姿巨大ロボット
0: Muteki Chiojin Zambot 3, or to give it its English name, Invincible Superman Zambot 3, is a 23 episode TV series that aired in 1977. It was directed by Yoshiyuki Tamino and produced by Nippon Sunrise. Tamino would team up again with Yoshikazu Yasuhiko for the character designs, and Kunio Okawara did the mechanical design.
2: So, a summary of um, Zambot 3 and the overall plot. Young Kape Jin and the rest of his family are the only ones on Earth who can stand up to the might of the alien menace known as the Geizok. Using technology left behind on Earth by their ancestors, they fight to save the planet from destruction. So let's talk about the first episode then.
0: So episode one starts Shingo and Kape kind of tearing around on their bikes... Uh, obviously Mm. kind of antagonising each other, and during this this exchange, we see uh, Cape show his butt off at uh, Shingo to uh, goad (laughs) him a bit more.
2: Yeah, the the sort of firmly established as uh, as being rivals, and kind of, it seems to have been some sort of initiation for Cape to uh, join Shingo's gang.
0: That's right. Shingo kicks him over, and the the police turn up, and they say they'll meet up again on an island somewhere.
2: Yeah, they'll they'll do this again at some point. He says, uh, you know, if We'll meet up again, if he can get out of this, and then kicks him off the dock and into in an old boat below. Obviously, he intended him to plunge into the water, but he, he he ends up landing on a boat and then goes up a ramp and gets out of there while the cops are chasing him.
0: While the cops are chasing him, it's quite apparent that they know Cape.
2: Kind of seemed to be a local troublemaker.
0: <laughs> Just as this happens, as, as Cape's running away, a tentacle appears out of the ground and kind of chases him down the road.
2: It's like a metal tentacle with a blade on the end, does not it? it? bursts up through the, through the road
0: yeah it's like a yeah it's kind of like an axe thing isn't it yeah um, cafe crosses a bridge with the police car chasing him uh the bridge collapses and the police car falls down into the into the water and ex- and explodes then we cut to the police station and they're around um, they're trying to get hold of the police car
2: that's right, yeah the team have lost contact with it, so it's obviously obvious, it's obvious uh, to anyone who's just seen that scene that the poor guy's uh done for which gives us a bit of an early indication you know that uh There's going to be a lot of uh, civilian casualties in this show.
0: That's right, yeah. uh, Within a few minutes of the show starting, uh, someone's died. Um, Further on to um, Capé's sort of behaviour, the police chief says that he'll get hold of Capé's parents, regardless if they're on a fishing trip, and uh, Mm. tell them to sort Capé out. And then he looks out the window at an island where we see there's something happening.
2: There's like some kind of uh, what looks like a sort of drilling platform and... You know, one of the family, Chitaru, um, cut his brother's in a diving suit, isn't he? That's right. So he's at the bottom of the ocean looking for something that they refer to as their ancestral treasure.
0: Because Hiromi, uh, she asked, do they think they'll really find the ancestral treasure? And then in the distance, they see a ship explode and they see a drone appear. Kind of snail yeah, like type drone appear.
2: Snail, this little mechanical snail thing, yeah.
0: And then we cut to Butcher. We see our, we get our first appearance of our uh, main antagonist, Killer the Butcher. And he's looking at the people and he says, uh, "Well, there's lots of people worth killing here." <laughs> yeah. And
2: it's say uh, he seems to be looking through the through the snail drone as like eyes ah, like a camera. That's right. It's kind of showing him, like the the cargo ship blown up.
0: And then we cut to Cape and he's on a jet ski heading through uh, the water and there's kind of like mist and all smoke about. Um, mm-hmm. And he gets to the island where Shingo and the rest of his gang are um, waiting for him.
2: Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, they, they have a. Rather unconventional duel.
0: Duel with anchors on ropes. <laughs>
2: with anchors, yeah, on rope. <laughs> yeah, there's, uh, that's a pretty pretty unusual fight, but yeah, there you go.
0: So they're swinging them about, and as they start fighting, then um, we see uh, more tentacles appear um, and start mm-hmm. sort of fighting them. And uh, Cape then says he's off to go see his grandpa as the uh, as the tentacle continues to attack.
2: You know, you, you see the sort of, uh, eventually the full creature kind of emerge from the water, don't you? And you see yeah. its full full body. Uh, and it's called, kind of got a bird-like head.
0: Cape goes to where his grandparents are and the rigs all sort of, you know, being attacked and falling apart around them. And uh, Cape ends up in the water fighting the uh, tentacle. Um, and then this craft kind of appears out from under the water and, and lifts him up. And, yeah, he uh, sort of
2: slides down the surface of it, doesn't he? Like into into the water.
0: And then you see at the end of it there's a there's a, a flat bit and you see like a glowing hatch, open hatch, and Cape looks at it. Cape starts to hear this voice telling him, you know, remember remember to remember a text and uh yeah, and he starts to hear this line. and he starts to hear this voice that says, Shoot in and that he shouldn't remember what to do. And then Kape does remember what to do, and he jumps into the hatch.
2: Yeah, he has this voice saying, um, like a definition of what shooting means. Shooting, shooting means quickly getting into the fighter.
0: So he then gets in, uh, he goes down a tube, and there he sees Hiromi, his mother, and Hane, his grandmother, waiting for him, um, and they tell him to believe in his ancestors.
2: Yeah, and they're sort of like um, they're kind of dressing him in like a flight suit, aren't they?
0: That's right. And,
2: and uh, Heisman's telling him to you know, to sort of uh, prepare, uh, to prepare himself.
0: So he goes down into another seat. He ends up in the cockpit of some craft, which is the Zambird, and he, he launches in the Zambird. At that point, we get the Mecha Boost turn up in its full entirety and we get its name appear across the uh, bottom of the screen in true 70s. Yeah,
2: in, tru- uh... in true 70s fashion, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what I was about to say.
0: And at this point, Grandpa, he's telling him that the uh, cockpit should look familiar to him.
2: Explains that he's been undergoing this uh, sleep learning technique that was passed down by their ancestors. And uh, and they basically, um, he'll know how to pilot the craft.
0: And Cape says, he, he asks if it's the treasure that they're looking for. And Heisman says that, then tells him that there's evil force Geysok has come to earth as detailed in the uh, ancestral books and explains that this must be a Gysok Mecha Boost, and tells him that, you know, they're the only people that can fight it. At this point, we see the Mecha Boost attacking Shingo and the others, and Kaffe starts fighting it.
2: Yeah, that's right. Um, You get uh, this scene where it cuts to uh, Shingo, Aki, and Michi, and, uh, you know, they're discussing, like, God, is that really Kape that's aboard that thing? Yeah,
1: that's right, yeah. And, you know,
2: they, they just saw. Sort of, obviously they knew nothing about this as Kape did, and, you know, he's being introduced to all this sort of rather haphazardly that like he has no, no clue about uh, any of this, and it's kind of all new to him too.
0: And then Ichitaru tells him to do the uh, ace change, which Cape then remembers that as well, and then we see mm-hmm. the uh, Zambird, which is like a fighter, turn into the Zambo Ace, which is a robot.
2: Yeah, he's got a sort of quite typical... Sort of super robot design, although he's a smaller one, isn't he?
0: Yeah, that's right. And um, quite interestingly, once uh, he's in the robot, Cape says that um, he can use it to uh, crush Hingo. <laughs> 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 the fight with the Mega Boost continues, and that's where Ichitaru, uh, or Heiserman, tells Ichitaru to send the uh, Zambo Magnum to Cape.
2: Yeah, so get the first kind of weapon for Zambo they're being showcased. Uh,
0: the Mecha Boost catches Zambo Ace in its tentacles, and, you know, Zambo Ace is struggling, and he shoots the gun, and he's not kind of making much impact on the Mecha Boost.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then Ichitaru tells him to use the grenade launcher.
2: That's right, yeah, and he, he sort of gets out the uh, the attachment and sort of manages to sort of score a successful hit on it, not before being sort of chucked about a bit by the tentacles.
0: <laughs> That's right. And then once is defeated the Mecha Boost... Then we cut back to Butcher, and he's quite surprised that there are robots on Earth too, but he's kind of like, he says, never mind, he'll kill them all sooner or later anyway.
2: Yeah, and he sort of says it was just a reconnaissance robot to find out what the Earth ones had really anyway, so he's kind of fine with that.
0: (laughs) Then we cut to the bridge of the ship, then we see some screens, and we see two other ships appear on those screens Mm -hmm. similar to the the ship that Cape and Hiromi and the, the rest of them are on.
2: And there's there's the scene where uh Capbe's mother says that she didn't actually realise that their ancestors possessed anything like this technology.
0: No, that's right.
2: And Hazeman says ominously that this is the fate of the Capir family as the ed- as the episode ends.
0: And we get this final shot of the uh Zambo ace stood on the deck with the kind of sun setting behind him, don't we?
2: Yeah, um, that's right, yeah.
0: That's the first episode of Zambot three. Generally I think it's a pretty good episode. There's quite a lot I quite like about um this first episode.
2: Yeah, sure. It gets straight into it, doesn't it?
0: It does. It doesn't hang around. It very, very quickly establishes Cape and Shingo's rivalry. Mm -hmm. And quite interestingly, you know, it portrays him as a real brat. He's antagonizing Shingo, you know, really, really playing up to him, um, which Shingo doesn't like. And there's a few other bits, you know, the bit that we said where, you know, now that he's got this powerful robot, he can crush him. It's obvious that they don't like each other. You know, they're prepared to go each other with anchors. <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly, yeah. I mean, um, although it gets straight into it and it uh, it doesn't overtly explain some things, like, you know, it mentions their ancestors, but it doesn't go yeah. much more into that, which we'll get more about the mythology uh, afterwards. Um, there's enough foreshadowing to know that there's going to be explanations for stuff.
0: Because it's only briefly revealed, because you haven't really seen, fully seen the craft they're on yet in any great detail. So there's more about yeah. that. You know, we've only seen Zambo Ace, so we haven't seen the actual title mecha yet. We haven't seen Zambo three, uh, mm. Zambot three yet. So there's still a lot. We've only seen a brief glimpse of Butcher. We haven't seen really mm. his craft or anything else with that. So yeah, exactly as you say, there's um, you know, there's a lot of foreshadowing, and and then there's a lot of seed sown in this episode.
2: And the episode is like one big drip feed of information, really, isn't it? Mm. You know the, the way we slowly understand Heisman and the rest of the family's preparations for the Geyser invasion. Yeah. And everything that's going to happen, then that works really well. You know the the way it, it's kind of you're on the same kind of journey as Capy in this episode, discovering everything. Yes. About his role, his upcoming role as a hero.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Because you get the uh, all the talk about the ancestral treasure. Mm-hmm. So it's obvious that there's something which they've inherited or found or discovered. You don't know quite what yet. Mm-hmm. But there is this thing um, and they found it. And, you know, Heiserman's quote saying to uh, Capet saying that they're the only ones who can fight them. And it's like, well, why are they the only ones that can fight them? So there's yeah. there's still a load of interesting stuff t- still to be found out about the uh, Zambot 3.
2: Certainly, yeah. I mean, the, the idea of, of Capet undergoing this training via sleep learning is a very good one. You know the fact that it explains how we can pilot these these half um, zomboid and also A straight away, because obviously a lot of super robot shows of the era would fail to explain stuff like yeah. this. yeah, get a robot has like get a raise doesn't it and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. There's, there's sometimes there's a bit of like what people might call sci-fi MacGuffin that kind of explains <laughs> it, but I feel this this is a better attempt to give you some sort of realistic grounding. Yeah, it gives you that. some
0: plausibility, doesn't it? Or yeah some, sort of, a
2: layer of realism.
0: Yeah, some yeah. plausible because sleep learning um you know it's a real thing the american army were um sort of ex- experimenting in it very very heavily during the second world war mm. you know as a as a technique trying to improve soldiers uh combat readiness and uh, or effectiveness and do it in a shorter amount of time so it's not like it's um something which you know is completely plucked out of the air it has it has real yeah. world plausibility
2: and there's that, that uh, also that part where Ichitaro is told by Heizem not to forget that they can use Ambo bag them, and then it shows you Ichitaro with a big stack of papers like a kind yeah. of makeshift manual, and he's kind of quickly leafs through it and looks a bit nervous and then presses a button and sends it out. So it's like he's he's uh, basically um, reading his instructions before launching the weapon. You know he's yeah. he's not used to this technology and he's still he's still sort of uh, learning the ropes so to speak.
0: Yeah, exactly. The other bits I quite like quite like the little schematics you get where the the first one mm. where Cape goes into the into Beal and into Zambot into Zambord rather you get that uh, little fun that little schematic and then the second one where you get the Ace change and Zambord goes into Zambord Ace um, mm-hmm. you know they're quite nice little little touches in it. Um,
2: yeah, I can't really think of any other them making sure the feature's that.
0: No, no, absolutely. It's, it's quite it's, unique. It is quite unique to uh, Zambot 3. Does a pretty good job of explaining all of the sort of wider characters. You see Shingo and his gang. You see Aki and Michi. Mm-hmm. You, know, you see the main characters or members of the family. Um, yeah. So yeah, it kind of is, establishes that. They're all very well established for the yeah. first episode. Yeah, so uh, I think it's a pretty good first episode. I think it does... Kind of hits all the right beats to to sort of snare you sure. and and just give you enough to to want you to go and see more.
2: Yeah, I very much agree. It is, it's a very good start of the series and it had me hooked from the get-go. I mean, as soon as the uh, you see the other craft turn up and there's a bit of promise that you're going to find out more about their ancestral yeah kind of heritage and uh, you know where they're actually from. That kind of uh, hooked me and I was really looking forward to watching more. Um, so, what would you give the the first episode out of ten?
0: so I give it a 7 I think it does I don't think it's a spectacular first episode but I think it does enough to want to make you want to see more of the series
2: yeah I would say an 8 I mean for me um, I agree with yeah I totally agree with what you're saying it might not have the most excitement but it in terms of you know just set up yeah it really got me hooked on the show and definitely like sort of got me to to want to sort of uh, watch more right away so for that reason I would, I would give it an 8 9. So the early episodes after episode one, um, they expand on the principal cast a little bit more and they give us a little bit of backstory about Heisman discovering this ancestral book that warned them about the coming of the Geysok and also told them about the fact that they've actually got an alien heritage yeah. and that they're descendants of this alien race from the planet Beel. Yeah. And that's obviously uh, what they named the, the three craft after uh, Beal 1, 2 and 3. As we get more introduction to the uh, Mega and all the sort of abilities and things of the, of the different craft, we get a combination between Beal 1, 2, and 3 that becomes King Beal. Yeah. So that kind of serves as the sort of command centre, if you like.
0: And that brings the three families together then, doesn't it? So all the descendants of the aliens are now all back together on the one craft.
2: Because we've got the Kami family, the Kamikita family, and the Jin family, but they're yeah. generally collectively referred to uh, as the Jin family as a whole, aren't they?
0: Yes, right, yeah. So one of the key themes that runs throughout Zambot 3 is its depiction of war mm. and this was something Tamino was quite keen to actually do differently with the uh, the super robot genre through the end of the 70s it starts off really with the telling of the Jin family and and how the war started and, and where they brought the war from in the early episodes yeah. you get quite a bit of backstory showing the Jin family on planet Beale and Gysok attacking them and uh, you know them escaping and then coming to Earth.
1: But the
2: series really doesn't pull any punches when it comes to depicting war. I mean, the way the way it's sort of uh, portrayed is just quite brutal.
1: Yeah, you know, absolutely. We see
2: innocent bystanders being killed regularly on screen, without any cutaways or any ambiguity as to whether they've died or not.
1: No, absolutely. Um,
2: people getting crushed, set on fire, and like you know, vaporised left, right, and centre. Um, And there's very realistic depictions of the destruction caused by the Geysok. You know, even when a mega boost explodes, parts of it will fall down and take out a building or something like that. And uh, the way that's sort of shown is in a lot more detail than I would say a lot of other super robot shows would show it in the the same era.
0: Yeah, and and the way it shows what actually happens to the innocent people, because even as early as episode five, you see people at the ferry trying to ...trying to get away, you know... ...and then through, like, episode 7... ...you see, like, the mass evacuations... ...of people in their cars trying to flee the city... ...as the war's going on... ...and as you say, the collateral damage... ...there's lots of instances... ...which, I think, like, episode 13... ...where uh, Capes fighting uh, the Mega Boost... ...and a bit of... ...he blows it up and, as you say, it falls... ...and it just wipes all these people out, you know... ...and it's like that depiction of... ...you know, all these people... I just get caught mm-hmm. up through no fault of their own or whatever, and yeah. you know and that's what happens in war. If you look at all the wars that have happened recently, um, if you look at Syria um, and places mm-hmm. like that, and Libya and Yemen as another good example, there's all these people that just no fault they are, they don't want the war, they're absolutely. not fighting, they're not everything else, but yeah. unfortunately, they just get caught up, and all those innocent people do in just, just yeah. you know, get caught in the crossfire, absolutely, the episode where Shingo is with the girl who's in, you know, she's got PTSD, effectively, yeah, and she won't That's talk, right. and you know, she's, she's just, afraid just afraid of, robots of the robots, yeah,
2: and she thinks that all robots are megaboots, so she's even afraid of Zambo Ace and Zambo 3, yeah, Zambo 3, sorry,
0: yeah, and even though that's the good guy, and it can see it fighting them, but it, mm-hmm. you know she can't differentiate with that. That's know. right. Yeah. She just sees if, all robots as bad. Um, yeah, I mean
2: the the family just suffer quite a lot because yeah. of the the fact that people believe that the guys are only attacking humans because of them, and they they see things in a very simplistic sort of uh, view that you know if the if the family aren't there, if the Gen family aren't there anymore, then the guys will leave too.
0: Absolutely, and, it's a, and
2: of course, things are rarely that simple, are they?
0: No, it's never it's never as clear cut as that. Um, but people just do believe, and there's quite a few instances through the show where people see that view. Because all the way through, there's like real resentment, and it starts right in episode two. That that mm-hmm. resentment and that backlash against them, you know, and you constantly see people people saying, "Well, if you weren't here, then they would have never have come." But you know, yeah. the reality is that the guys up. Saw humanity as a disease and wanted to exterminate them. So That's
1: without right, yeah. without I mean,
0: the Jinn family and Zambot three, then it would have been a lot easier and they would all have all been wiped out much much sooner. So, but people can't, Absolutely. you know, people can't see that.
2: And I mean, couple of other characters try to try to explain this to people and nobody will, will uh, listen to them. You know, there's more than one scene where he tries to explain that they just want to kill all humans and they don't. Yeah, it's nothing to do with. You know, us kind of bringing a water to our planet, we we actually try our family tried to escape it. Yeah. If anything, but like you say, you know, they they just uh, they just basically see it in those sort of simple terms.
0: Yeah. You know, they see it literally as black and white as that, and the depiction of refugees, which you don't see. So, you know, there's yeah. refugee camps scattered about, you know, and you see them being set up. Um, and like Aki's mum, people very close to the Jin family have been hurt. And it's that it's that depiction. And, you know, as my, you, you know, you see people get up, you know, cafe get upset because he sees it's what they're doing is affecting their friends. Um, That's and, right. Yeah. And, the, and mm-hmm. their, their friends and their family. And as you said at the start of this, you know, it's just never been depicted in in robot anime no. before. It's a real it's a real gritty yeah, I mean, sort of depiction of how a war actually um, plays out plays out. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah, I mean you just you know, there's plenty of super robot shows you see like things like buildings being blown up and stuff, but it's like in a sort of cartoonish like yeah, comic book absolutely. Where, you know, like things get destroyed but you don't see the actual effect of what that does to to the people
0: underneath. No. The other thing that's quite interesting as well is effectively as almost paramilitary is what they mm-hmm. you know, they're not an official Earth Army yeah, or that's right, Japanese yeah. army. They are you know they're acting as a paramilitary, That's and then right. you see how the,
2: they've just taken the, it upon themselves to defend everybody.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And
2: you know, Heizame and other characters, you know, it's sort of, uh, you know, they're they're always sort of like telling Kape and Keiko and the the other, you know, the, the Uchida that they need to kind of like uh, just get past the sort of resentment and hate that people have for them. Yeah. And just fight on, you know, and because they're doing the, they know they're doing the right thing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But then interestingly, you see how the Earth actually starts to then get involved in the fight. So Mm. it starts off with sort of the government having a sort of going to see onto Bandok and and see Butcher to have peace negotiations, which just, (laughs) you know,
1: was just (laughs) a foolish
0: idea, which you could never see working. But it starts with that. And then in episode 15 with um, Admiral James, you know, the Earth Mm -hmm. fleet actually coming along. And then later on. Um, the Earth Army want to actually take over the running take of the Zambot and everything, and the operation yeah. of it. Absolutely.
2: I think that uh, that's something I've never really seen in a Super Robot show either. Like you know, the sort of military trying to kind of take control and no. sort of, you know, you know, try to utilize the sort of mega and that sort of thing themselves. No, it was quite quite unusual on that. It
0: is quite unusual because uh, previous. It's
2: previously. a good episode because it kind of because it kind of um, you know, gives you a bit more of the sort of uh, mythology and the fact that. Only they can sort of pilot because it can only underwent sleep learning, but they've also got superior reflexes. Um, Heisman mentions at one point they've got yeah. like, I guess alien DNA in them that makes them a little yeah, bit. absolutely. More
0: Because previously in super robot shows, you would the heroes, it, you know, it's like a they're like a secret sort of science company. Um, yeah. who've developed the robots kind of the and attached,
2: then has the science organisation and that sort of stuff
0: yeah and yeah. through Get a Robo and, and all that sort of stuff it's typically you know it's like a special organisation which go off and just do it on their own and yeah, you like don't see much with the team, human yeah exactly right. like a crack team yeah
2: yeah yeah like they've kind of been trained to do what they do and that sort of stuff I think Shogun's a bit like that isn't it it's like you know they've got like they're, they're kind of like a team that's been selected yeah. because of the skills and that sort of thing
0: yeah absolutely yeah and so this time it's difficult to Earth Army sort of trying to collaborate and, and even would take over. And interestingly, f- with the Earth Army, th- it's the first point where you see they actually turn the war against, uh, Gysok and Butcher when they,
1: mm-hmm. you know,
0: use the uh, surface fleet as a distraction and they've sent all the arms and weaponry underwater yeah. in, in, um, submarines. And, and that's quite an interesting thing because there's a couple of episodes like, around the middle of the series where the Jin family and Cape and Heiserman they're all on the back foot, you know, the war isn't going their way, people yeah, are dying, the they're not making any difference, Butcher has the upper hand, um, and then slowly... they are
2: really starting to get annoyed with with their antics and stuff, you know, yeah. they like really want them, trying to drive them out of town at one point.
0: And then through that, you know, with epi- that, at the end of episode 15, where they've put one over on him, um, mm-hmm. you know, you, you've actually started to turn... The tide of war, and and as the momentum grows, and that's why, you know, the Earth Army wants to get more involved. They have these little wins, and it and it builds momentum against Butcher. The other thing that plays quite heavily in zambot Three is like the sac the human sacrifice for the greater good. Oh yeah, good. absolutely. Um, yeah,
2: def- There's a lot. I mean, that's a huge tone. That's just a huge uh, theme throughout the series. I mean, the fact that, you know, there's sacrifices need to be made in order to beat the enemy because they're incredibly ruthless.
0: Yeah. And it's putting the greater good against the the worth of the one. You know, it's the worth of the of the many. Um, yeah. And
2: because Admiral James sacrifices himself, and you know, Cape is uh, quite upset about it, though he doesn't want to show it. Yeah. And it's there's that scene where Heisman says to Gengaroo, um, you know, that kid knows a bit more than he lets on. You know, he's yeah.
1: Because he
2: says to their faces, he says that he was a, he was a fool who only who only sort of knew how to kind of play it cool and. Yeah. He just kind of wanted to be a hero, but then when you see him by himself crying, he's like, you know, he he's, he didn't want to get upset in front of them, but he's he's kind of, uh, you know, sort of really upset and moved by his sacrifice.
0: Yeah, and there's um, you know, if you look at the history of war, there's countless instances where one person has done something that's that's made a you know a sacrifice that's ultimately enabled the, the rest of the army to maybe someone's gone and you know, sacrifice themselves and it's allowed a unit to move and take over some land mm-hmm. or a bridge or, you know, defeat an em- enemy position or something. So, sure. you know, it's a very, very accurate depiction of that. And what's quite interesting and what that leads to um, at the end of the show, um, and you kind of get a few points um, along the way of this when, when the Jin family, they interact with the, the human army and, and guys mm-hmm. bit at the end, it, you know, it's that question, who are they fighting for? Are, yeah. Did they? Were they asked to fight? Will they be thanked for fighting? That's right. You know, and it's yeah, quite...
2: Butcher actually directly asks Capio why yeah. he fights at one point, doesn't
0: he? Yeah.
2: And he's really taken aback by the question.
0: Yeah. Because it's because you know he his response is well of course they of course they do we're fighting for Earth because we want to save the Earth but he mm-hmm. then he but he, he you know makes the point but did they ask will they thank you for doing mm-hmm. that for them for for everything that you've sacrificed and you've given up. You know, and it's yeah. a very interesting. It's a very philosophical discussion Definitely. and point for to be 1977, made. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, especially mean, for to, 1977.
2: Yeah, yeah. You know, we used to like sort of anime tackling a lot of adult themes now, but you know, back then, you know, even a lot of the people sort of, uh, you know, prior to like this this kind of era, like the late 70s, it was generally quite often considered to be for kids. I mean, yeah. it was. I think at the time there was. I remember Miyazaki saying something about the fact that it wasn't really till he didn't feel it wasn't uh, until like you know the the age that manga as an art form started to be taken seriously. Yeah. And a you lot know, with a lot of the theatrical anime and stuff that that came like in that era. But a lot of people always talk about how like Yamato and Gundam are like the, the the beginning of like sort of mature anime. Yeah. But if you look back like as far as the back as the early seventies, there's examples like like Zambot Three. Yeah. I mean, stuff like, you know, stuff Tatsumi were doing earlier than this yeah. uh, has some quite mature themes in it, but certainly, like, you know, Yamato and Gundam weren't the weren't the beginning of that sort of stuff. You know, this yeah, I, mean, I, mean, I think, are, I think and,
0: yeah, Yamato was the first to sort of, I mean, I feel that was the first one to really start to set that more serious tone to it. But I think to oh, me, you know, then yeah. he took it a step further and and actually put some. Some actual realism and some w- real world context. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the characters the are
2: more well drawn. Yeah. We'll, talk about, we'll talk about characters more in a bit more depth later. But, um, you know, the relationships, of the characters are really well drawn in sort of quite yeah. complex and quite mature. You know, there's a lot of scenes with um, Cabe and his father.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, very, very well done in that regard. Especially for a time that was made, is incredibly dark.
0: Incredibly dark. Um,
2: yeah, I mean, the thing is, to, to keep in mind for people who haven't seen it, I mean, this show was aimed at a younger audience, which yeah. is kind of mind-blowing, yeah. really. Yeah. And from only a few episodes in, you know, there's, there's hints that the content is going to be quite a bit stronger than other shows of the era. Yeah. I mean, some of the Super Robot shows were quite, although they had a lot of good ideas, you know, really sound science fiction ideas and good characters and, you know, really cool mega design and everything, they could be quite repetitive and, you know, you had the kind of threat of the weak element, yeah. that sort of thing. but. In this show, uh, there's just so much like human drama Yeah. that's really, really like uh, well-handled with really well-drawn characters, as I, as I mentioned before. Um, even if it's a secondary character that turns up for one episode, they're not treated as a secondary character. You know, they're, they're given quite a bit of depth.
0: And I think even from the, you know, as we talked about in the first episode, the tone is set right from the outset. Butcher mm. goes on about lots of people to kill, you know you see the policeman get vaporized and you know
2: that's right yeah like it's and like three it's, minutes into the episode or something that he yeah. gets blown up
0: and it's something it, like that it, it's just there right from the beginning this is you know this is the tone it's dark people die and you have you know a sadistic killer who's just hell-bent on killing people
2: and um, just really enjoys doing it you and know, really it's, enjoys it's doing it like, yeah absolutely to him, basically. well i mean, we'll get on to put but um as the, uh, as the violence escalates and things get really serious, there's an episode where Cap's dad, uh, Gengaroo, and uh, Heisman infiltrate the Bandok, the, you know, the yeah. Geysok Fortress, and they're just gunning down like a uh, left and yeah. right. Yeah. That alone, I mean, the heroes killing people in that sort of kill-or-be-killed
0: scenario. Yeah, absolutely. It's
2: just very different in tone to a lot of the shows at the time. And it I
0: is. was quite
2: taken aback by that bit.
0: And again, it goes back to that, what we were just talking about with the depiction that realistic depiction of war i mean that's how it is Mm. you can imagine you know as soldiers storm a base or whatever it's you know they've got to get through and you know complete the objective because that's what they've got they've got an objective inside of Bandok to to get to uh, butcher so by any means Mm. necessary and that just means gunning down people left right and center absolutely Um, yeah
2: and it's it really it really shows the gulf between what was acceptable in Western animation and Japanese animation at yeah, the time. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I mean,
2: um, I, but I mean, as we've said, it even for even for anime, you know, it was it was um, a little bit different to a lot of the content around at that time. But it probably tells you a little bit about Japanese TV standards being quite different as yeah, well. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, you know that was that there is just some very strong stuff in it. Um, but also there is some really silly comedy in the show as well. Yeah. And that's kind of at odds with the dark nature of the show. Yeah,
0: because it's stuff like when um, Butcher's taking the pot shots at the uh, government officials. You know, one of the balloons has, you know, is the little octopus thing, you know, and it's just like it's stuff like that. And and again, we'll talk about Butcher a bit later. But, you know, he is a bit of a silly character. There's the stuff where Hannah, you know, she trips over on the beach and her teeth. jump out that's right yeah. you know and bounce across <laughs> the ground and it's just it's kind of yeah. you know when she gets into the pilot suit and she you know she takes one of the vehicles to go and rescue um, Nozaki you know cause the vice president because yeah. you know there's a a crush you know there's there's a romantic past with those two it's so sort of silly and it's again it's a very Tamino yeah. thing because you know you, after this you would you know the show that Tamino followed this up Daitan is one of the silliest robot shows you will ever see I've oh, you know, actually seen
2: that one yet, uh, yeah.
0: but oh, it's I mean it is very very <laughs> silly there's no two ways about it. it 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 sits at odds I think you know you, I think if you look at anything if you even look at um, a film like Saving Private Ryan which is a, you know, a, <laughs> a dark and it's about a very serious matter there are quite a few light moments in that film and I don't think it's out oh, yeah. of place but I think the comedy I think it's just silly it's the yeah. silliness of the comedy which doesn't sit with the darkness of the series because
1: absolutely as you said it escalates
0: as the series goes it really really escalates you get hydrogen bombs. you know you get all the collateral damage we've talked about it escalates and escalates mm-hmm. you get people giving, sacrificing their lives you know it For really the cause, yeah. um, and the human bomb I mean, bit which is just you know again we'll talk about Absolutely, that later yeah. but it's just the darkness of it is incredible but the silly bits yeah uh, yeah for me that sits I mean, at odds i think
2: it does i mean one that really stuck out for me was a bit where i can't remember i can't remember if it's aki or michi but there's a scene where like um she one of them kicks uh zambo in the foot yeah and like zambo like hops around like he's yeah. kind of like in holding his foot which is a bit strange. I mean, how strong is this kid?
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And also with Aki, when she gives him the scarf and you see Zamba Ace with the scarf on it, I mean, it's just, it's kind yeah. of silly, you know. Yeah, but um, well,
2: I think, that, I mean, that bit, for me, I, I quite like that bit because it's, although I get what you're saying, it it does kind of, I suppose, take you out of the show a little bit, but it's the fact that, like, you know, that the scarf meant a lot to her. And yeah, it's I like, mean, I, know, it's
0: kind I, of, I get the context yeah, like, and I the like, reason I like, for I like it, and, aspect, like, you know, and it's a very powerful... Connection. emotional bit absolutely but the last shot of zambo ace with this enormous scarf blowing in the breeze just <laughs> it's
2: uh i know it is a bit silly it it just a bit kind like of
0: silly at times but you know that's. there's, that,
2: that's there's the also that uh there's also that scene with the um one of the sort of uh, bl2 uh crew and he's like a big sort of portly guy in like a white suit and a sort yeah. of texan and he, the the mechanical chairs that transport you all around Beale, That you know the the sort of pilots and crew sitting and you get taken around the ship you know he, at one point he kind of can't catch up with one of the chairs and he's yeah. chasing it down and that's just really awkward comedy that would only I mean you'd <laughs> see that in time. like
0: wacky races or something and you know at the end of the day as we said this was aimed at kids so you can yeah. you can understand maybe putting it in but yeah it just kind of feels it does kind of feel at odds so despite this being essentially a, a uh, sort of monster of the reap show what runs in parallel through it really is an underlying story between cape and shingo um, yeah. that develops both characters and really provides cape with his sort of emotional growth sort of growth and journey through as the show progresses as we stated yeah. in episode one, you see the uh, the rivalry, the rivalry established, them. yeah. And yeah. in that, is he is he threatened by Cape Possibly. Were, I mean, it's a motorcycle gang thing, isn't it? So.
2: Yeah, he wants. It seems that he wants to join his gang based on what he, the dialogue in the first episode. Yeah. Seems like the the race has been some sort of test or something.
1: Yeah. Because he says
2: to, he said something about him join, Like, will you let us join now? And he says, any. And he kind of he says, "Oh, you want you're one of us, but you know you'll have to get out of this first, and then kick some into yeah. the uh, into the water." Well, seemingly into the water, he manages to land in a boat, but he's he actually you know it's meaning for him to kind of splash down into the water, really. and yeah. He says, "If you can get out of this, maybe we'll meet up later and do this again." So but, they don't have the healthiest relationship. The no, beginning.
0: but I think that's I think it kind of shows that Shingo because he's obviously the older boy. But yeah. he kind of feels threatened by Capay. Yeah. he's a good he's a real brat, but he's good he's good on his bike or whatever and he's fearless. Yeah, that's
1: you know, right. And, yeah. and you
0: could you could understand maybe an older boy who is, you know, the the leader of his gang and then this other young upstart comes up with comes all up the on. attitude and yeah, you know, and he's, he's actually good thing, at what yeah. he you know, he's actually quite talented or good and could actually threaten his position. you, you know, that mm. I think establishes that the start of that relationship uh, really, it really does. well. That's then, right,
2: yeah. I mean, um, obviously Shingo doesn't agree with, with uh, what the family are doing. And no. From early on, he thinks that it's their fault that the guy's like a wreck the sea. Yeah. But um, when his mother and sister go missing, that's kind of like the last straw that sort of really affects their relationship.
0: Because at the end of that episode, uh, you see Shingo. I mean, he's absolutely seething. You know, he's just, mm. he's absolutely full of anger you know he sees them it see he, he lays it all squarely at the their feet you know all the yeah, all the killing it's... the hardship um the difficulty he puts it squarely at their feet and then that's another one episode about that time as well where he goes across, aboard king Beal, to and he starts smashing it up and everything doesn't he yeah Cause, he
2: smashes all the sort of control panels and stuff doesn't
0: he cuz you know as we said at the start you know if they stop king bill from operating then it will all be over because yeah, you know is that kind of narrow-mindedness.
2: <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Um, but the the relationship is the sort of focal point of the series. I mean, it feels like a kind of the sort of yardstick by which like you sort of measure a lot of the story arcs and things. You know, there's the the although there is a reconciliation between them, there's a lot of like things that they go through before they reach that. But one thing that comes to mind for me about like how intense the kind of rivalry gets. Is the scene where Cape actually punches towards Shingo with Zambo Zampos's Yeah, fist,
1: yeah.
2: he pulls his punch at the last second, kind of almost saying like that you know, he's got the sort of power to kind of Yeah, you know, to like kind of end him really. And he's you know, kind of that's like part of, that's very much portrays Cape's attitude and the fact that he is at the beginning of the series quite an obnoxious brat. Yeah. He's got control of this really powerful weapon.
0: That it, portrayal of Cape, you know, he really is an unlikable character. Um, right at the
2: beginning, yeah. Right
0: from the outset, and all the way through the the sort of first sort of third half of the series, he's really portrayed as a, a, a quite a brat and an unlikable person. Mm. And interestingly, the way because Shingo isn't in every episode, but he sort of he comes back, and you can see those kind of milestones and that growth. Um, yeah. You know. Yeah, that's
2: that's exactly what I was getting at. Yeah, you know, there, there's kind of there's almost like sort of little mini arcs involved in the two. You know, but when he comes back, it's for a reason in the story. You know, he doesn't come back just to show up and have some dialogue. He comes back because there's some business between the two of them in that episode, you know.
0: Yeah, because cape you know, he is petulant. The bit where he's trying to get, when Bandok puts its shield um, around it, you know, Cape's trying to get in there. And he's kind of real petulant. He sort of flies off. Yeah. He's always ignoring orders and all that sort of That's stuff. That's right. So
2: Ichitaru's constantly kind of tearing Berating him,
0: isn't he? Yeah.
2: Yeah, because he's not... I mean, there's a scene where he actually disables uh, Zamba Ace's operating system because he won't listen to what he has to say. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, because it's got... Uh, that, that plot and that episode has something to do with the fact that he needs to do the combination with Uchuda and uh, Keiko to form Zamba 3. But because he thinks he knows better yeah. and he wants to, like, uh, do his own thing and he thinks that his plan is better, Ichitaro just shuts it down and he's like, well, if you're not going to cooperate and you're not going to... Yeah. Actually, uh, join with your cousins. Yeah. and Fight this thing. Then I'm going to stop you fighting because. And yeah. because basically uh, you don't know better than I do.
0: Because in the bits without Shingo, you get Cape's personal development. Because the bit where he sort of meets his dad, um, where he's doing mm-hmm. Gengaru's introduced, you know, he hasn't seen his dad. His dad's a fisherman, been at sea for six months, and he mm-hmm. comes back. Um, and Cape just wants to see his dad, but his dad berates him because questioning. You know, he's putting his family first rather than the fight or the greater good yeah. we keep referring to. And he berates him for that. And Cafe's upset because he just wants to, you know, please his dad. And, and what kid doesn't sure. really want his dad to be proud of him? You know, there's, there's bits like that. And uh, Heisman, you know, there's a couple of episodes where he tells him, you know, you've got a you've got to fight like a soldier. You've got to think like a soldier. You know, you're a, yeah. you're, you're the primary soldier for the protection of Earth. You know, and there's quite That's a few right. episodes and and scenes like that. That bit where we talked earlier, where there's a bit where Shingo leaves, and Heisman says to him, you know, you've got to fight for Shingo. You know, you've got to yeah. you know fight for your friend. You know, do this for your friend if if nothing else. That's sort of right.
2: Thing. Yeah, and he's uh, and you know, there's there's like a lot of scenes where he's he's trying to sort of um, you know, kind of give him the sort of a confidence and sort of like the reason he needs to sort of fight on. But at the same time, telling them the kind of gravity of the situation. I mean, there's there's a scene where he he says, like, you know, little by little, people's hearts will open and they'll be on your side eventually. Maybe not right now, but in the future. Yeah, absolutely. You'll start to see what we've sacrificed. So I feel that um, the first point where you really start to see Cabe's growth as a character is that episode with the um, owner of the steel yard where Cabe wants to buy some steel from him to repair the damage that Shingo did. Um, and he won't sell it to him because he, you know, he views them as a bunch of damn aliens. I think yeah. he says, I think his words. And he gets, uh, he gets injured. He gets taken aboard Beale. And there's a scene where he tries to escape in an escape pod, and he's like precariously hanging to the side of the craft. And there's bombs on the side of the craft as yeah. part of the plot of yeah. so, so Kabe has to go and retrieve him, and he goes to like great lengths to save this guy who doesn't even want to be saved, who hates his guts. Yeah. And he knows it's the right thing to do, and he really wants to get him out of there. And, you know, going back to what we were saying about tone and, like, content, uh, in that scene, the cat is climbing the rope and he shreds his hands to pieces and they're, like, bleeding really badly. And, like, it's, you're not used to seeing blood in anime of that kind of era. No, no. Uh, I was quite surprised by that as well. But, um, but yeah, that is probably the first instance of, like, I think of him showing, like, a bit of maturity and yeah. thinking, you know, like... Because there's, there's other scenes... Where people show hatred and disdain towards him and he basically sort of kind of sticks, effectively sticks his visa about them and he just doesn't want to kind of deal with them. He thinks, screw you, you know.
0: Yeah, and I think the, the other bits as well um, with, with Shingo and Cape, the episode of Chico, in that episode, you know, Shingo says, oh, this is, this is what you're doing to people, where we've said, you know, Chico had PTSD yeah. And then He says you'll create more orphans if you keep on going on like this. Exactly. So he berates him and then you get the bit where um the bit of the mecha boost falls down and kills all those people and then Cape has that crisis of conscience because you know, he realizes the effects of what he's doing. You know, that there are yeah. consequences to his actions. That's um,
2: right. I should clarify that Chigo is an orphan, so he's referring to her. You'll make yeah you'll make more people like her, he says.
0: Cape has this you know crisis of conscience and then stops fighting and says well I don't want to do it anymore I, I don't want anymore and then yeah. Shingo then comes back and says look you're the only one who can do this so get back mm. in and fight and then I know we've had our differences and and everything and and at the end of it he says fight on and you know one of the things in that is um Shingo says to Michi that when he meets Cape again that he'll shake his hand and at the end of the episode, Mitchie relayed that message back to, to Cape and you know, and it kind yeah. of that kind of spurs Cape on a bit. It does like
2: it? he's he's quite heartened by it, you know, he's like they've had that kind of battle in the in the sort of relationship and the you know, the fact that he's he's kind of accepted and finally what he's doing.
0: Yeah. It's a it's a major turning point in their relationship. And then mm-hmm. you get that sort of go on and then after the Human Bomb bit and um and, and, and after that you see there's a start of an episode where Cape's throwing stones because Shingo's been captured by Butcher and he's on one of the yeah. bases in the, the human bomb factory and you know Capa's gen- now actually generally worried about his friend. And he that, is, yeah. And at the end of that, you know, you see Shingo does shake Cape's hands and there's that reconciliation because they've both kind of done a lot of growing up. They've both been yeah. through a lot and and whatever and it's you both know, have
2: been, really been through the mill by that point. Yeah, I've seen absolutely. Or die. A lot of people that they care about die. Um, and, I mean, at one point, Shingo um, is actually going to sacrifice himself. He doesn't. He, you know, he, he sort yeah. of gets through it. But he was quite, in a, in that episode where he's aboard the uh, fortress where they make the air uh, bombs and everything, he's he's quite willing to, like, take himself out to, like, help other people. Yeah. And you see growth of his his uh, character in that episode because um, he's, like, in a cell with this uh, guy who's created a kind of way to get back the yeah. guys on. Well, I, I guess we should get more into that about when we talk about the sort of human bombs arc. Yeah, he's quite willing to like to kill himself to save all these people. Yeah, and he also gets kids and family and stuff out before him before he manages to escape.
0: <laughs> yeah, and that bit at the end of you know when you have that sort of full reconciliation between Shingo and Kape because Shingo realizes that Kape sort of went and rescued Aki, um, mm-hmm. and and everything, and he realized what he did for her, um, mm-hmm. and despite kind of knowing the risks you know and everything else um and it's like well you know he does he's not he's not a selfish brat who only puts himself first actually he he put himself out to rescue you know he went to rescue Shingo he went to rescue Aki and Michi so Mm -hmm. you know you saw that you know he's actually quite a caring person and he does put other people first and everything so yeah it was that was I thought that was a nice rounding because at that point then you go into the sort of the final walk, you know, the final battle towards Gysok. Sure. Um, and I think that sort of nicely closes out that bit of the story.
2: Yeah, it does, yeah. The, the relationship is kind of, you know, repaired and the yeah they are sort of like real friends rather than kind of having that,
0: yes. that sort of like they're not really rivals relationship anymore. we had. Yeah.
2: At the beginning.
0: Yeah, they're not um, rivals anymore, are they? So it
2: goes on on his side for the final battle, you know, which kind of takes us neatly into into the kind of uh the end with him being one of the kind of Core group, I guess, and yeah. being in a lot of uh, later episodes, because there's there's sections where you know we leave. There's a section where he leaves town and you don't see him for a while. Yeah. So he, he so he kind of comes back as a sort of big character towards the end of the show, I would say.
0: And I think that then sets Capa up. You know, he's he's reconciled and and he's now in the right sort of mental state to go and into that final battle with Butcher yeah. and Geizok. So, uh, yeah, I think the way that plays out is really really well structured. Um, mm, and I think that's definitely don't really see that level of character development in anything through the mid 70s. Um, mm. And it's a really, it's that's really powerful. Uh, and it, again, part of the beauty of animation is that I think you can actually really portray those emotions yeah, and stuff. Um, absolutely, so yeah. it's really, it's a really strong, um, really, really strong character writing.
2: Definitely. I highly agree. Yeah, I think it's um, it's stands head and shoulders for me in terms of like sort of the way the characters are portrayed over other shows that I've seen in the era.
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely.
2: As well as, particularly in the super robot genre anyway. So um, often, when we see uh, Killer the Butcher, he's viewing violence from a distance inside his fortress, the Bandok. Yeah. And he's watching everything from a monitor screen. And in these scenes, you know, there's we talked about this, the silly comedy that often occurs with him. He's often like indulging in luxuries like having a sauna or a massage or he's trying yeah. on jewellery. There's a scene where he's like rocking out Singing this yeah. silly song about and killing like, all humans, and he's got a yeah, picture got, of Elvis in the background. Exactly, he's got
0: Elvis in the background, <laughs> and he's and he's yeah rocking out, and he's like exercising, and he's got one of those sort of silly seventies you know, vibration belt things. And you know, at the end, when I think that's one of the things where it doesn't quite go well for for Killer, and you know, he puts um, uh, Ballater in the in it. You know, he says, "Oh, you go in there, and you see him." you know yeah. it's all it's all kind of silly he's playing yeah Barter's ball. like
2: one of the uh, lieutenants, isn't he because there's this Barter and girater is it the two uh, Geezer. Giza. That? giza that's it yeah giza yeah and th- he's often like tormenting them isn't he yeah. basically do he's it. always hitting uh, them
0: and bashing them about and and stuff but you know he's and he's you know he's this big green monster with earrings and kind of
2: grossly fat isn't he like yeah. you know really kind of big yeah and, he's and he, they, they, we talked about the fact that these bits are often like at odds with the dark and serious tone, but when he's a participant in the story and he's well, when he's a participant in violence and he's actually hurting people, like that episode uh, we briefly touched on where the um, politicians are on balloons and he's yeah. popping
0: them, he's quite a chilling villain. It's, it's, that scene is incredibly sadistic because he's taking this, mm. he's got all these people hanging by balloons who are petrified you know yeah. absolutely terrified Just waiting
2: for the moment that you're gonna...
0: when they die you know and and it's one of those things you can imagine falling knowing you're falling to your death hundreds you know, you, of feet hundreds yeah. of feet and he sat there gleefully taking these pot shots of a bow and arrow i mean it, the, the the sadism in it is absolutely amenable. I
2: mean, there's a lot of build-up to that scene as well because the politicians are sat around a table they the, they start off by having a meal, and then they discover that they've been chained to the table.
1: Yeah.
2: And uh, Butcher's, like, sort of rubbing his hands with the glee, saying, right, time for a human hunt. Yeah. And he's, like, uh, and he's really kind of looking forward to it, because, like we said before, like, killing is like a game to him. Yeah. So he, so you know, like, something horrible is, hap- is, is going to come. Yeah. And Heisman's also, uh, there's a scene where Heisman's talking about how he knows that there's no way that uh, these politicians are going to get out of there alive. Yeah. So when he's when he's actually actively part of the story and he's harming people and he's he's in the plot rather than sitting in his little monitoring station, he can be really disturbing as a character.
0: Yeah, because he's got this, you know, he's got this silly sort of high pitched voice and he's always giggling.
2: Giggling, yeah. You
0: know, and it's absolutely. And then he's this, I say, this silly character, but then he does this really sadistic stuff. And when he's saying he's looking at um, a map of Japan. How much mm-hmm. they've taken over, and it's like it's the, and he's going on about it being the colour of blood, and he wants it all to be covered in blood. You know, it's, it's, you mm. know, as we talked about the darkness in the show, it's that's you know, he's got that real nasty streak, but then. Exactly,
2: I mean, his his name might seem a little bit on the nose, but it, it totally is his character. You yeah, know, it's uh, like, that's what it's he an is. It's extension yeah. of his character. I mean, it, you know, when I, when I remember when I first sort of heard about the show and I was reading the synopsis and I thought, really, you know, a character called Killer the Butcher? Yeah. <laughs> but it does, I guess it suits his character, you know.
0: <laughs> but when he first meets, when we first see uh, the Geysok Master, though, because obviously they're expecting a quick victory and defeat mm. of the uh, humans and, um, you know, he's not achieved it despite all the weapons that the Geysok have, have given Killer the Butcher um, and then he starts berating him. You start to see... Butcher's a bit a of a coward, inside. you know. He yeah. he's, he's just a bully at the end of the day, and you know they tell yeah, you like, were just a, a barbarian that we picked up and saved. Um, you know we had this gave, contract.
2: Uh, with superior technology to. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, and he, you see um, him sort of, you know, the, the the bigger bullies, you know, now giving him a hard time, and you see him like, oh, you know, he's 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 now generally in fear, and he's he's yeah. a bit of a coward, and you know, as you as you said, you know, he fights from afar. He you never see him actually in the fight you know he uses his mecha boosts and all his soldiers and everything yeah. else he never not c- till
2: the very end because he gets made to fight by the guys of Mastery. Exactly. Y- you know. yeah we'll that. get to that later
0: but that's and but, that's um, a really interesting point because it's and I, it, and it's I, only I, when he's like
2: failed several times he's like, yeah. like well now you're going to get out there and you're going to actually get your hands dirty
0: yeah but I think <laughs> that's one of those things I think again we talked about the, the realistic depiction of war and I think for me, pulled on World War Two because you know the the war only ended you know thirty odd years before this was made, and you know you could see at the end of uh, the Second World War you know within the Nazis you know the the generals who had been sort of holed up in Berlin and had just been commanding you know they were the the, the, the hierarchy of the German army had to go and actually get involved because they were mm. losing the war. So yeah no one could escape actually having to go and actually fight you know and, that, and that's that's yeah. a realistic depiction and and you can imagine that it's like we've given you all this now you're you know it's now stripped back to you they've got to you know mm. the the Jin family they've got to you now so you now have to go and fight as this f- final barrier before they get to us so yeah uh, that's, you're the sort
2: of fi- you're the final defense basically you yeah. know yeah the kind of um the, the sort of final barrage, I guess. Um, but yeah, that's that scene where he's he's being zapped by the guys that master with the kind of energy blast, yeah. and he's just kind of cowering. Just shows exactly what he is, you know. Yeah. As soon as he's threatened, he just sort of crumples, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, absolutely. And when there's when there's a bigger when there's a bigger stronger person than him, he's just yeah. like, oh, don't don't hurt us. I've done what you've asked, sort of thing.
0: <laughs> because he hides behind the mecha boosts doesn't <laughs> he? I mean, essentially, yeah. he sits there in Bandoc away from everything and the mecha boosts go and, and do all his, and all his soldiers do his, his dirty work so
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah he's a very interesting character
2: mm-hmm. OK so um, let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the supporting characters of the series I mean Heisman is pretty important to, to the story although he doesn't have like an episode focused on or anything like that, you know, he's he is very much central to the story, uh, being the kind of... be the commander of King Beale and also... Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, and also
2: the kind of one who holds everything
1: together, really.
0: Yeah, exactly. He's kind of like that... is like that sort of head of... Uh, hierarchical head of the family type figurehead, isn't yeah. he?
2: If, the, if, if they were like a sort of assigned team or like a military unit, he would be like the kind of commander, I guess.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, and he's the one who often plays out the strategy, uh, you know, mm-hmm. he gives the words of wisdom to Kape and, and everyone as well, you know, he's that he's that aged, wizened pillar of the Kamikata family, isn't
2: he? Absolutely, yeah, I mean, he's he's always sort of giving out advice to people, and he, yeah. he quite often has few hearts to heart with uh, Cape and sort of tells him stuff about what he needs to hear to make him fight on, and, you know, him and Nichitaru have, like, um, a lot to do with sort of technological side of things. Yes, I mean,
0: absolutely. Ichitaru
2: tends to send out the weapons and stuff.
0: Yeah, he's and, kind of like the main pilot, isn't he, of King mm, Beal.
2: That's right. He analyzes the weak points as mm. well, because generally Gengaru and um, sorry, rather um, Heisman and uh, Ichitaru will often talk about the Mega Boost's weak points, and he yeah. Ichitaru is do analysis, and uh, once we know, you know, we can report that back to like a captain, tell them what the weak point is. So. They Excellent. have that kind of uh, role and sort of working a relationship with trying to, like, figure out how they're going to defeat the sort of mega boost of the week.
0: Yeah. And then Hannah as Heiserman's wife, you know, she's she kind of acts as his prop because he's taken he's got all this pressure and the weight of his world on his shoulders, literally, mm-hmm. you know, and and often find she's often like the light relief of the series. Yeah. I know we've talked about the silliness of, of uh, Killer the Butcher, but in terms of kind of light relief, she's the one that often provides it within within that cast.
2: And, you know, even and she's quite, you know, she, she has this sort of persona where, you know, she's she's always very kind to Cappy and she always speaks yeah. very highly. She always says what she believes in him. Yeah. And at the beginning of the series where you don't, where it hasn't, in the first episode, although it hasn't explained about the ancestry properly in that first episode... She does tell him as soon as he sort of suits up to believers in his ancestors and she knows he's going to do a good job of yeah. pile Zamberg.
0: Absolutely right. She's very, whereas Heiserman will kind of braid him and give him the, the hard talking yeah. to that he needs to, Heineman will be a bit softer and, you know, she's got That's that more right. motherly sort of approach to her. You know, she's a bit softer Absolutely. in her approach and, and what she yeah. does. So
2: And Ichitaru's not above giving uh, Kabi a hard time if he stops out no, line.
0: No, exactly.
2: So she definitely fulfills that sort of role of being the kind of, you know, the one who's who's sort of a bit more, I guess, uh, sort of um, motherly.
0: Yeah, and then you get Hiromi, who's Cape's mother, who, you know, doesn't get much screen time and doesn't do very much. But, you know, you see her kind of steal when um, uh, Shingo's pointing the gun at her when they board Mm -hmm. or storm on uh, King Bill, you know, and she berates him and slaps him and everything so you know she's got mm-hmm. a bit of toughness about her and Gengaroo as well you know he's quite a hard man yeah. as well isn't he he's quite a he's quite a absolutely. tough guy
2: yeah I mean and again he can have um sort of you know he can be quite sort of how can I put it um you know he, he basically you'll he will often give like sort of you know encouraging words to Kabe when he needs it as well
1: yes absolutely. Uh, yeah.
2: you know he's not like completely sort of like hard-faced but at the same time you know, he, he'll not stand for him being obnoxious or, doing, or like, disobeying uh, an order or, you know, going off on his own.
0: And then, you know, that's kind of, that's, like, the like, Capes, like nuclear family. It's those lot. And you mm-hmm. can kind of see that they're a family. And Hiromi does mother Cape a little bit, but mm-hmm. not quite, I don't think quite to the extent that Hane does. Yeah, um, you're
2: you quite
0: know, right, yeah. She's, she's his mum, so... You know it's that typical grandparents thing where grandparents always tend to get away and tend to be a bit kinder because yeah. they're not they're not the <laughs> actual parent are they so <laughs> yeah true yeah absolutely and then um after the sort of the, the main family you have there you then have Uchuta, who's the pilot of the Zambul, um, and his family and keiko the pilot of the uh, zan and her family now i think out of all the lead cast, I think a tutor gets the, uh, you know, he's the least developed and he gets the short end of the stick in it. Absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah. You don't you don't really see very much about him at all. I don't think.
2: No. I mean, although he has his own episode, it's there are points in it where it's not even really focusing on him too heavily. No. Um, it does give you a sense that episode that he's he's perhaps you know well definitely the series as a whole, even though he doesn't get a lot of character development. Gives you the sense that he's a bit sort of wiser than Cappy, he's a bit less childish. Mm. You're, he's, you're, you're, he's always obeying orders, same as Keiko is, and he's like, you know, he's a lot more kind of, seems to have his head screwed on. Yeah,
0: he's definitely more mature he, person that's than, right, than yeah. Cappy is, isn't he? Definitely.
2: I'd say so. Um, and they, there's that episode uh, that focuses on where he basically um, sort of berates his own family for being so stupid, because yeah. the whole theme of that episode is that, Their uh, hometown is getting wrecked, and all the neighbourhood houses have been destroyed except their own home. And they want to go and protect it. So they separate King Beale uh, into pieces because obviously they're like, I think it's Beale 2, and it leaves the rest of uh, Beale weakened.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So not
2: only have they put the rest of the core sort of group at risk and uh, not enabled, like, um, you know, the, the other parts of the country to be protected they're also sort of, you know, worried about the possessions and sort of, yeah, belonging over the, the sort of future of the country and what what's at stake. But I think that's actually, he realises
0: that. Yeah, but I think that's actually quite, again, we'll go back, back to the, the sort of realistic feel of Zambot 3, because that's mm. quite, I think that's quite a real thing. Again, if you look at, you know, we've mentioned wars in Yemen and, and Iraq and mm-hmm. that, and you see families in their home, even though there's destruction or it's half, blown up you know people want to it's their home and they refuse to leave so Mm -hmm. um i think i think that's actually quite an accurate thing i think when people see their home under threat they they want to go and do it so Mm. um yeah i mean it's good because he he berates it you know it's that whole thing well look you're doing this but you're you you know you're uh, risking the whole fight against butcher because you've weakened king bill as you say i think it's a very human reaction to that oh yeah actually situation so um
2: I mean, you can understand the sort of different points of view in that episode, definitely. Yeah. Um, and with Keiko, um, you know, I think that she has, she definitely gets uh, the sort of a uh, better end, you know, the better end of the deal. You know, yeah. she's, she's got more characterization. Her episode is a lot more strongly focused Absolutely. on her as a character. Yeah. Um, and you get a bit of a glimpse into her family life that you don't necessarily get with the tutor, because even though that episode with the tutor, you see, you know, a decent amount of his actual family and you do get some characterisation, um, Keiko's episode is much more centred on the family relationship.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Because her mother and her, like, uh, their relationship has changed since the war and since she became a pilot. And, you know, she sort of displays that same sort of tough love that Heisman and Gengaru sometimes give to Capet.
1: Yeah, that's right. Kind
2: is, she's a bit, like, cruel to be kind sort of thing, isn't she? You know, she, she sort of uh, deliberately doesn't do things in order to, like, sort of toughen her daughter up.
0: And I think that's quite an interesting episode as well because you see up until that point it's really Kape that's got the brunt of all the resentment towards the mm. family from Shingo and other people around him but Keiko when she goes back to her friends she kind of thinks things will just be the same she'll go back to that yeah uh, sort of safe childhood environment with her friends but all her friends mm. turn on her as well you know and I think that's that's quite interesting because you know things have changed and she yeah. gets it the same, and she, you know, and she kind of gets an understanding of what Cape's going through, um, and that why because she gets it, you know, I think they call her a murderer, um, mm. and she sort of struggles with that, and you know, like you say, it's that whole toughening up of Keiko as a character. Because the interesting bit at the start of that episode as well, I think it's Keiko's birthday, and her mum's giving her a kimono, um, yeah, and Capo new to tease her. Um, yeah, and it ends up, ends sorry, up chasing, ripping, around. chasing around and ripping her dress. And you kind of think, oh, yeah, I mean, boys will be boys, but, you know, they're really a real horrible pair of kids, you know. Yeah. But they've, they've kind of done it, so she runs back to her parents because she wouldn't that's right, she yeah. wouldn't go. And
2: that's right, because Heisman's kind of in on it, isn't he? Yeah. You know, he he's, it, there's a scene after that where he sort of says, you know, like, you've did the right you you've done the right thing there. You know, it's it's kind of where they got plan, really. Um, so it, I thought that was quite a nice touch because it does it, just look like they're being obnoxious little yeah. rats. but then it turns out there's a bit of method in in what they're doing. So yeah, that they, was that was unusual, yeah. real kind of twist in the character relationships there. Because
0: they come on the screen, don't they? And they're saying, you know, happy birthday and you know, enjoy your family. Sort Later of thing. on, yeah,
2: like after, after she's already went home, they sort yeah. of pop up and like, yeah, it was a bit of a ruse, okay. Um, but
0: <laughs> Sorry, that's quite but, nice. But it's it's kind of nice. It's that I think it it's a really yeah. nice interaction between the characters um mm, you know and we've definitely. and and even though i think a lot of outside of maybe Heiserman and hane and 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 cape's immediate family i think keiko's mm-hmm. and the tutor's parents i mean they barely you barely see them and they get very little screen time but i think it kind of all works yeah you know they're, they're not you know keiko's and cape tutors parents rather are you know they're underdeveloped but they form the whole family thing, you know, the, yeah. the working, fighting yeah. unit. I, and I think that's quite... It gives you the bigger picture you need, really, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does. Absolutely, absolutely right. Yeah, I think that's... And just
2: enough of it, I would say, yeah, yeah. in many cases. You know, they may not be there, there all the time, but they're there at the sort of important points, and you get the, enough plot to yeah. sort of fill in the blanks, I guess.
0: And then beyond that, I think, you know, um, Admiral James and... Um, Mr. Otaki, you know, the guy who, who we talked about who, who uh, tried to escape from King Bill. You know, and I think mm-hmm. they're sort of one-episode characters, but I think you... I think it does enough where characters like that, yeah. they're kind of... They're, they're in one episode and then they die. <laughs> you know, typical to <laughs> me, though. You, <know? laughs> you know, you know, uh, oh, you know, it's... Uh, it's Oh, he's a new character, well, he'll be dead by the end of the episode. Um, <laughs> but uh, But, you know, I think they get enough... I think they're kind of... Crafted enough to so you kind of understand yeah. them a bit. I think
2: I, I agree. Yeah, I think that uh, you get enough from a lot of the sort of uh, secondary characters or the one-off yeah. characters to actually like. In some cases, you know, even if they're only in one episode, you do kind of care about them a little bit.
1: Yeah,
2: it's not they're not just sort of disposable. They are they do have and quite often, you know, the characters that die or sort of you know make a sacrifice, they have quite a profound impact on the lead yeah, characters. Absolutely, like uh, Admiral James's death. I think we mentioned earlier the fact that. Uh, you know, Capia outwardly calls him a fool for killing himself, but then he runs off and, you know, cries about it when nobody can see.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, so he he's sa- moved
2: by his sacrifice. Mm.
0: Like I say, he's there and has enough of an impact on the story to actually have an impact on the yeah. story. So, mm-hmm. uh, as a characterisation, I think I think Zanbot 3 does really, really well.
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Certainly, um, you get uh, more from a lot of the uh the episodes that are in other shows might be a bit more disposable. Yeah. Uh, You know, I think that uh, even some of those sort of episodes that might seem at first glance to be like, oh, well, this one isn't really going to matter in the bigger scheme of things, ultimately they generally do.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: So the most notorious thing about Zambot 3... Is the human bomb arc that runs towards the end of the series? So episode sixteen Absolutely. to nineteen, is this four episode that that covers his sock. And most people, if they know one thing about Zambot three, it's mm. the human bomb part of it.
2: Yeah, it's quite infamous, isn't it? The introduction to this element of the plot is quite shocking. Yeah. The way where there's no real lead into it, and it just shows you what happens.
0: No, that's right. So literally the first there's, scene, isn't it? It's. You just see these crowds of people, and then suddenly there's explosions.
2: Yeah, that's right. There's like there's a guy at a train station, isn't he? he glows with this light, and then he just detonates. Yeah. Taking yeah. loads of people out, and there's no, you know, it gives you a second to kind of linger on the carnage before cutting the Butcher, who's chuckling about his latest <laughs> yeah. plan. So it, then he sort of starts to explain himself, and you get a bit of exposition there. Yeah. But um, it's it's very cruel in the way that these people aren't aware. They're no. being used this way. It's not like guys are forcing people to go and blow themselves up like a suicide bomb. I mean, essentially that's what they are. But they're, they're having these bombs installed in them through surgery, and then the, they're basically having the sort of minds like uh, kind of made all muddy with drugs, and they're not really sure exactly what's happened
0: to them. Exactly. And, and that opening scene where there's the train station, there's an airplane that blows up, and a ship. Mm-hmm. It's in these sort of everyday situations where there's crowds of people, and then all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. It goes off. And I mean, yeah. I can certainly remember the first time I saw it, because when I saw this originally, I didn't know about the human bombs bit at all. It was completely mm-hmm. um, unknown to me. So watching that go off, it was a bit like, whoa, you know, what's going yes. on here sort of thing.
2: I mean, I, I knew about that that uh, particular storyline. That was one of the small things that I knew about the show. Well, would be a big thing, but, you know, it was one of
0: the things that I knew. Once we've got through that initial bit, so it's set the scene that Butcher is now using human bombs and they're all timed to go off at a, you know, a certain point.
1: Mm.
0: We then see um, some of the kids on the sub um, and they're attacked by mecha sharks and they're mm. supposedly rescued by what looks like um, an Earth army or an Earth navy ship. Um, but it's actually um, Ballater in makeup, looking like yeah, a human
2: the guys like lieutenant who's like butchers second in command isn't he and that in itself is quite chilling the way they sort of ensnare them
1: yeah
2: you know with they think they're being rescued and then all of a sudden it's it's the sort of uh, the guys like uh, henchmen coming to get them that uh, that whole episode I think it lulls you into a bit of a false sense of security that one because even though the opening is horrific you know by the end of that episode those kids have been saved and because you, you think yeah they wouldn't they wouldn't blow up the kids would they Yeah, they wouldn't do that but yeah the show goes further than that <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, I feel it sort of gives you a bit of a sense of like relief before it's time to actually breathe easy
0: with this episode. Um, And that that bit, there's quite an interesting bit in there as well because when Ballater realizes they're they're part of the Jin family, and Mm that you know Butcher then decides to use them as a bargaining tool to try and get Zambot and King Bill, um, Mm -hmm. and Heiserman in there. Interestingly, he's like he has this dilemma: does he rescue? Does he risk everything to rescue them? Or mm-hmm. does he not? And it goes back to a lot of points we've constantly referred to through this review in this depiction of war. It's like, they're yeah. fighting for the cost of the Earth, and do they risk everything for them? And and ultimately he says, well, if we can't save them, then there's no hope for Earth.
2: What is the lesser of two evils here, really? You know, can they, yeah. Can they sacrifice those three kids while giving up the weapons that they're going to save the Earth with? Yeah. There's a great line in this episode where... Where one of the uh, sort of uh, guys, the Kenchman says, uh, "Sir, there's a submarine that's uh, that's chasing one of our reconnaissance sharks." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I that was a great. That was a great line. I just made yeah. me
0: chuckle. <laughs> that is a good line. And then at the end of that, once they've rescued the kids, um Heisman then then learns about the existence of the human bombs. And mm. it's one of those episodes that ends on a really, really dark, somber note. I mean, it's really. It's a really heavy yeah, ending.
2: Absolutely, when you see the shock on all the families' face that they would use people in this way.
0: Yeah, it's um, it is really, really, really shocking. Then in the next episode, we see the return of uh, Shingo and his gang, and and Kenta. They're in like a refugee prisoner of war camp. That's right. And it's probably one of those things where we've seen refugee camps where they've now probably been turned into prisoner of war type camps. Mm. And uh, Kenta, he um, he sneaks out and sees that King Bill is nearby and, and ends up getting rescued.
2: That's right, yeah. You know, this is a great episode as well, because, you know, there's a lot, of sec- a lot of their Shingo's gang are quite secondary characters. Yeah. But we still really care about what happens to them in this episode, because they are quite well-drawn and yeah. sort of, you know, either given, like we were talking about before, they're, they're given enough characterisation and sort of, like, a place within the sort of scheme of, like, who Cap'n knows and, and stuff to first actually, like, uh, care about their what we're about to talk about
0: (laughs) yeah and that's quite a bit where you know butcher having had no success at all really with all the mecha boosts now Mm -hmm. suddenly has a much better weapon in the human bomb and interestingly given that this show is over 40 years old it's prescient in how terrorism acts today if you look at Absolutely. if you look at the use of suicide bombers in as a um, a method of warfare <laughs> against conventional um military weaponry um it, yeah you know this was doing this a long long time before i think you know there were suicide soldiers in you know quite notably in in the second world war but yeah. The way it depicts this to how modern exactly. terrorism uh, mm. is played out is is kind of a very scary it is, it is. premonition um, of think, future warfare.
2: I think that, you know, with things like 7-7 so recently uh, in the UK and then all sort of stuff all over the world, sort of Paris terror attacks and all kinds of things, you know, it's it really does kind of hit home, like some of this stuff. You know, you think about, I mean, there's there's probably a large percentage of people who know somebody who's who's been involved in some sort of terror attack I think that for a lot of people who may be watching this, there's probably a lot of stuff that brings up some very real emotions.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And as that episode carries on, Cape goes to rescue Shingo. They get into the camp, um, and that's where yeah. you start to see that little star-shaped scar that indicates Death that they've slept. been um, you know, mm. converted to a human bomb.
2: The surgery's been performed on them, and the bomb installed, yeah.
0: And then as that, as that carries on, uh, Shingo gets rescued and then recaptured again um and we get you know there's a there's a mecha boost battle but again we end up at a very very somber solemn note at the end of the episode so So, one of the gang hanamoto with a group of other human bombs who've escaped or been set free because one of the other things that happens is that uh butcher lets off a load of human bombs in the camp and you know he's just wiping out loads of people in the camp and some of these people escape and you know they all realize that they're human bombs it, you, you basically
2: know. yeah in that scene um there's just this horrible realization among all the people that you know they don't know how long they've got left to live because they no. never know when the janis No absolutely go up. they don't and in that and in that scene you know there's a bit where some guy seems to be saying goodbye to his partner or possibly wife
0: yeah
2: he's and he's you know like uh, I don't want to be here when when all this happens i don't want you to get caught in the crossfire yeah. and then obviously hammer makes his uh his decision to sort of uh leave them behind
0: he's there with cafe and he's saying how scared he is and he doesn't want to die alone and he kind of says well i'm gonna go and meet my parents now but he yeah. doesn't want to he doesn't want to do he doesn't want to go through death and die alone That's- so it's it's you know it's very it's very very solemn it's you know it's powerful stuff really absolutely yeah
2: and i think that um that scene just it really does i mean considering that hamamoto isn't even a character you know that well it's really like effective but god you know what what comes later damn me um
0: you know and (laughs) cafe is you know he feels helpless there's nothing he can do for them you know this person has been Mm. converted he's just a kid he's been converted Mm -hmm. to a human bomb there's nothing he can do about it he's gonna blow up at some point you know and he sobs and then you you see him walk off with the rest of the crowd and then you see them all go off in the distance, you know, and Kemp yeah. breaks um sorry, Cape breaks down, you know, realising that he just there was nothing absolutely nothing he could do to save yeah. his friend. Um, I'm sure the
2: Heisman even says at one point, I'm sorry, but there's there's really nothing that I can think of that we could we can do in this situation, you know? Yeah. He just basically says that his hands are tied and he wishes desperately there was something that he could do about it.
0: Um and that then probably brings us into probably the the sort of peak bit of the arc you could yeah. you could describe. So while on board Bandot, Shingo he sees people going in and out um of the factory and he meets uh Michi um who unusually isn't with Aki um, mm-hmm. And then Michi says that Aki got taken away and Shingo realises that she's probably been turned into a into a human bomb.
2: Yeah.
0: He sees... um, And then you get a bit where there's a, a mecha boost attacking and, you know, Cape and Zambot go out and they and end up rescuing Aki That's right, quite yeah. easily, you know. And, and Heisman, by this point, he's a very suspicious person.
1: Yeah, you yes, know, cause yeah. he is.
0: Because he's aware of it and you can't detect it sort of thing and he becomes... Uh, you know, he's, he's really, really paranoid about who is and who isn't, um, mm-hmm. and he kind of suspects that they defeated the the mecha boost a bit easily. That's
2: right. In that scene where uh, Capet takes her aboard King Beale, and he's sort of like, well, here's a room for you, and, you know, like, you know, you can sort of, like, uh, get dressed and all this sort of thing, and he walks away... And we see uh, the cross-shaped scar on her back.
0: Yeah, that's right, yeah.
2: alert the viewer, but not copy But then it kind of toys with your emotions for a while, doesn't it? And yeah. You get that scene where Capet and Heisman are discussing uh, whether she, the possibility of whether she could have been turned into one. And Capet kind of like naively says, oh, no, no there's no way. No, and right. then that's the really realisation slowly hits him well, actually, there's a very good chance. And you get the scene where he's racing towards the room to sort of check, and it just gets very tense at that point.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Because one of the other <laughs> things about that bit is when he gives, um, cafe gives uh, Aki some clothes to get changed into, <clears throat> you know, and she's like, get out the room, sort of thing. And yeah. then he, he sneaks through, <laughs> you know, like any sort of pubescent boy would, you know, he's trying to sneak <laughs> a look at a girl getting undressed. You know, and, and to be honest, it's one of the bits that really kind of Amps up the emotional bit because there's this kind of tender. Yes. Because there's obviously that there's a bit of affection between Aki and mm. Cappy. You know, they
1: That's
0: both right. he tries as to much, hide Yeah, exactly. And as in much a
2: typical as Cappy. Of, yeah, he tries to hide in a typical adolescent boy way, doesn't he? Calling them, call them both Aki and Michi the ugly pair and that sort of thing. Yeah. And kind of trying to deflect his, uh, his feelings for the both of them in many ways. I mean it seems that it is uh he has has romantic feelings to well, her, but he just care about the, the both of them.
0: So it's it's quite obvious there's that affection and, and you know, and, and it pays out very much like teenage sort of love, doesn't it? You mm-hmm. know, that kind of awkwardness and everything. Yeah, and like I say, that only builds up and then as you say, you get the bit where there's the realisation and he's running down the room and you see Aki on the bed and um and she blows up. Yeah. I know, and, I, and I, I can't recall whether it's just before the eye
2: catch sequence or just after, but I'm sure it, it gives you some indication that she's going to down there and then go straight to the break. So if you imagine if you're watching that on TV in 1977, <laughs> yeah. that that would have just been like, I bet a few people spilled the drink at that point.
0: Yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, as I said at the start of this bit, I had no idea about the human bomb mm. arc of Zambot 3. And um, I was watching. I remember watching it and it happened and I can remember the build up to it and you saw the scar on the back and you saw a line there and you saw Capet and I was thinking now nah, they're not going to blow up no they wouldn't would they're they? not going to do that that's, surely not That's
2: exactly what I thought and I mean although I knew about the human bomb arc I didn't know anything about who lives and who dies in this show anything like that so her fate
0: was totally unexpected. And I have to say, like, she blew up and I sat there absolutely stunned. And I had to pause <laughs> it for about five minutes and just kind of contemplate what I'd seen.
2: Yeah. I and know I was like,
0: you, you know, we've talked about the tone and the brutality and and mm-hmm. everything else. But it just, it got up, ramp up and ramp up and ramp up. And it gets to this point. And I was thinking... My God <laughs> You know, I this know. is like pulls absolutely no punches this show.
2: It really doesn't I mean the the thing is the the sort of horrors of it aren't even over after that because you get the uh, the scene where um they're they're basically detaching that part of uh, King Beal that's, yeah, that's
0: right. You, they, on a
2: train and they dump it into the sea and it's kind of becomes like a makeshift coffin for yeah. them. And that is just like just seeing that. Yeah. It's I mean if anyone who's ever been to a been to a funeral, the the moment the coffin gets lowered into the into the earth is just like you yeah, know everyone got that feeling of just how final that is. Yeah, and that definitely like got to me uh, even more so than the actual death itself. It's the fact that he's he's seen it kind of unceremoniously being kind of you know sort of disposed of. I guess.
1: Yeah.
2: And just his sentiments just echo like the sort of sentiments that you know people just generally come out with in real life. Yeah. in that scene his, his dialogue is very well written the the way he's struggling to deal with with what's happened
0: I know because even before that bit you um after the explosion you see the bit of pajama kind of floating that you know cafe sees the pajama floating down and then this realization a, that she has actually just blown up mm, and then and then, yeah. as you say the the bit when they remove the room i mean it's just again it's just another really heavy yeah sort of somber um,
2: absolutely it's deva devastating.
0: scene yeah, devastating sort of down ending to a, to an episode.
2: So he kept dialogue in that scene. Um, you know, he, he says, um, you know, why was she even brought into this world? Because she's just died pointlessly. The seemed like there was no point to her life. You know, why do things like this happen? And that is exactly what I was referring to. You know, the fact that it just his sentiments do seem very true to life. You know, you I think that's exactly how you would feel in
0: that situation. And also, we talked about Heiserman's um, paranoia because you know when Mit. She mm. comes back and, you know, it's like before you even step a foot closer, you know, I want to make sure you're not human and they kind of have to go through the indignity of sort of proving that they're not human bonds yeah. and everyone's suspicions of them up until that point. And it, it you know, and it and it's turning everyone against themselves in that point. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone's yeah. paranoid or suspicious of everyone else, so no one trusts each other. That's um, right, yeah. You know, and it's oh yeah, it's I mean I think that episode um, mm-hmm. It's probably the most shocking, you know, powerful episodes of almost any anime I've, sure. I've ever seen. I think. I think yeah. it's just the whole way it builds up, and even watching it a second time, knowing it's coming, mm. it's just it hasn't lost any of its impact.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's my first time watching it, but I can well imagine on a second viewing it will certainly be just as just as powerful as the first time round. Yeah.
0: And then we get into the final episode of the arc, and Shingo ends up—he's been captured, um, and he's on board the waiting effectively to be turned into um into a human bomb. And yeah. uh, he's in a cell with um, a load of other people, kind of who I think either been converted or waiting to be converted.
2: I think it's a mixture, isn't it? Because yeah. there's, there's one guy who already has a bomb; he's aware of it, and he intends to turn it against them.
0: Yeah,
2: because he's created some sort of remote detonator so he yeah. can take and choose when he goes and, and take like, some of the women
0: yeah because he's like an electronics engineer or something isn't he and he's, he's figured out mm. this way of, of doing it and then um they devise a plan to uh to try and get off the Bandock and uh, shingo goes to the operating room and sort of moments before having the uh, bomb yeah. inserted in him he escapes out with this other guy doesn't he
2: that's right, the former plan he's, he basically says, you know, when you go to the to the sort of theatre to the operating theatre, you know, I'll I'll detonate it then. Or at least it, it gives you the indication that they made that plan, I'm not sure yeah. if, if it's discussed on screen. But uh, you certainly get the uh, you know the the idea that they're gonna sort of make this break for it, using his sacrifice, which again, you know, there's so much of that in this show, yeah. isn't there? There's so much of the sacrifice for the greater good. Yeah. Um another going back to that again.
0: And with that, um, Shingo he escapes. And again, he gets on board and Heiserman's suspicious of him. He's been on Bandok. Um, and at this point, it's kind of where actually the Jin family start to turn the tide um, yeah. against uh, Bandok. So Shin goes off and they're fighting the Mecha Boost and they push the Mecha Boost towards Bandok and it detonates um yeah, that's right. against Bandok and actually damages it and it's the first time Bandok and Butcher's actually taken any sort casualties, of casualties. casualties and damage as a as a ship, you know. And it and it yeah, put, and it finally puts Capay and Heiserman and everyone on the front foot in the war against mm-hmm. um Butcher.
2: They start to get the upper hand and kinda of try to take the fight to the geyser like a bit more, don't they?
0: That's right, yeah.
2: Because we've seen all these scenes of collateral damage of, you know, innocent bystanders being taken out by rubble and like fallen mega boosts and stuff. But this is the first time something like that happens to the enemy, really.
0: Yeah, and um, through that one-person sacrifice and, you know, it leads that chain of events that does that. So Mm -hmm. you you now, it ends that arc, you know, and sets everything up perfectly for the ending. So the Jin family are are now on the foot and they've got the momentum and they can see that they can actually damage the enemy. And the interesting thing in that as well is that, again, replicating kind of what happens in Real Warfare is that they've used the enemy's weapon against them?
1: Mm.
0: Yeah, they, yeah. you know, they've used the human bomb the, to against Butcher mm-hmm. to their advantage. Again, you yeah, know, the, it was through through someone's sacrifice, but they've oh. turned it around, and, and, and it's that small yeah. thing that actually changed the direction.
2: It certainly, yeah. I mean, it, you do get the very sort of strong feeling that now they're a little bit more confident that going forward, you know, there is a chance they could win. Yeah. Whereas there's been quite a few moments in the series before where, like, you know, more than one characters talked about things looking a bit bleak.
1: Yeah.
2: Even even characters outside of the um, you know, the sort of uh, the the actual core family, you know, talk about like the fact that they just don't seem like they've got much chance. Yeah. I mean, uh K- Kenta, one of the sort of secondary characters, at one point says, you know, maybe the human race should just should just be like sort of exterminated, like you know the way the way things are going. Yeah. He's kind of like just so totally defeatist about their chances.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, after three episodes of very heavy downbeat endings, you suddenly get this kind of uplifting ending to the episode. So, uh, yeah, it's good. Yeah. It's really good how throughout the series it it kind of backs and forth and backs and forth a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. And You get the a lot of lows and you get the odd high, but now you can definitely see it's on a high. Um, yeah. I think that's a really good way... And f- for such a dark arc um, and a very brutal 80 minutes of screen time, yeah. you know, it's so good for the way that actually it feels right that it, it ends bit. like that, I think.
2: Yeah, it ends on a kind of uplift node, doesn't it? And we, we start to see that uh, that maybe there is a bit of light at the end of the tunnel.
0: Absolutely. Obviously, it's a super robot show, so we ought to talk about the mecha and yeah. the, you know, their design and the action in the show. It is a Monster of the Week show, so every episode, sure. probably for the first 20 or so episodes, we get a new Mega Boost turn up, and we quite neatly get their name uh, come up at Across the bottom the tell screen, you what they're, yeah. what they're called, which, which is uh, a, you know, a very, uh, very 70s, 70s and 80s thing, thing isn't it? <laughs> yeah,
2: definitely, yeah. I mean, I think we, we discussed uh, Zambois a little bit in the first episode, because that's, you know, him yeah. turning up is quite a central point of the first episode. I mean, he's quite a humanoid in appearance, and he's got quite a simple design. His face is quite a typical Super Robot face, you know, with yeah. the defined eyes, nose, and mouth, which it seems to have been like the kind of uh, basis for a lot of the Transformers designs, at least the more yeah. humanoid ones. They didn't have something like a mouth guard or like like Prime or something like that.
0: That design it is quite common. You see it all the way through the Brave series as well, through the nineties. Yeah. So it, you know, Brave it's very much was a like,
2: tribute,
0: yeah, to the cast um, and stuff, wasn't it? You know, you saw it in Brave Redeem. Sort of earlier, so uh, yeah, it's a, it, that is quite a super robot-y type thing.
2: And we've got the the uh, three sort of mecha that combine to make mm-hmm. Zambot Three as well: Zambird, Zambul and Zambase. I mean, Zambird's kind of like, a, like what would you call it—a futuristic jet sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, it's like a
0: jet thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And
2: Zambul's kind of more tank-like. Yeah, it has uh, the fists on the top for uh, Zambot Three. Yeah. Which, you know, in a lot of these early shows, you can kind of see a bit of where the body yeah. of the robot comes from in the design of the vehicles. Yeah. Which is interesting. Um, you know, a lot of these early ones that had quite simple designs. You could kind of see a bit of what became what part of the robot. And um, with uh, with Zambias, it's a pretty difficult one to describe that. I mean, how would you describe Zambace? Oh, I don't know.
0: It's kind of like, I always think of it as like the sort of, it would be like the heavy bomber type part. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like the big... Like you say, as where the um, Zambird is like the fighter, Zambase is like the the bomber part. Yeah. you know, equivalent to it.
2: That's, yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, that's quite a good uh, that's quite a good shout there. I like, I like that description. There's part of the um, front of the craft has like a sort of uh, angled part. it yeah. almost looks like the sort of neck and the head of a bird. Yeah, I know that's like sort of deliberately going for that sort of design. But it also serves the purpose of being like a kind of carrier for like equipment there's yes. scenes where she brings uh, Keiko who's the pilot of Zambo brings more ammunition and stuff and um, Zambo's role is very much the kind of like you know the
0: sort of like ground vehicle Zambo's quite interesting because I think that's a design that certainly um a car would use again because I see the gun tank in Zambo mm-hmm. that tracked thing with fists yeah uh, you know I see that good point. Um, and then, I haven't
2: actually compared the two, but I can see that now, yeah. Yeah,
0: I always, whenever, uh, when I... Because I'd seen Gundam before I saw Zambot 3, um, originally. Same as me, yeah. And when I saw that, I could clearly see that. And again, it's a kind of thing that Tamino would use again in um, Idion, because you've got mm-hmm. the three similar mecha, and you've got the tracked bit in the middle, uh,
2: mm-hmm. you know,
0: the tracked vehicle. So I think it was a very early design that um, actually kind of—it was an early idea that got used again and again.
2: Yeah, definitely. And it, it, uh, an important thing, sorry, an important thing to note is the fact that um Bird is the only one that has a transformation before yes. Zambird 3. Yeah. You know, it's the only one with an alternate mode. Yeah. Some shows they have alternate uh, modes before they even combine, but in this one, it's only Zambord that becomes Zamboist, the, the fighting robot.
0: Yeah, that's that's very true. Because again, I think in Idion, you see each of them. I think has a transformation mode. Um, pretty like sure one, yeah. yeah but this one you're right absolutely it's only and I think that kind of fits with it being the main because Cap is the main character yeah exactly I think he's going to have the main the hero robot yeah Zambo Ace is almost a character in its own right I think yeah. in this show isn't it whereas the other That's two right. Zambo and Zambase, isn't they aren't rather they're not really character mm. vehicles That's you right. know I mean, what I mean we
2: talked about the fact that he has quite a human face and he has facial expression right? he even smiles at some point yeah. and stuff there's that scene where we mentioned the episode of Chico, the young girl. She likes collecting bugs, and there's a scene at the end of the episode where Cap is tearing out clumps of grass with Zambo Ace. Yeah. And he's got a kind of smile on his face, looking quite sort of playful, yeah. like, you know, kind of raking through the grass. The grass, sorry. And it does seem to be like kind of an almost an extension of his character in some way. Yeah, absolutely. An you know, like extension of his character. But um, the transformation sequence, which they call Zombo Combination, um, is very well designed for such an old show yeah given the uh, the people involved at sunrise you know he, you can definitely tell the staff cared a lot about the design aspects yeah. and thought a lot about how it would work
0: yeah in a yeah. kind
2: of real world sort of uh like setting
0: exactly because you see the male and female parts on each section how they would actually mm. interact and there's like the yeah. backpack which you see kind of move around and fold you know they've actually thought about mm. Whereas if you take Geta Robo as an example...
2: Of it.
0: No, there's no way those three robots actually end up as the um, as the main yeah. one. They just It just does... It's, the physics yeah. don't work, it's kind of like you
2: know. Boxes just
0: sort of slam together and, and then they, so, they they
2: sort of, suddenly transforming into something else. And they sort so of blend totally into different.
0: each other, you know. Yeah. They literally do blend into each other. kind of morph. This, well, they really do totally morph. Different exactly, different. that's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> they do. They morph into each other. Whereas in Zambot 3... And, and this would be something... Akara, you would see for all his, you know, if you look at the Votoms designs, you know, the realistic, the realism or in Gundam, you know, some of the more realism that you see in his later work. You know, he was very much mm. well, at that time, definitely down the more realistic robot thing. Um, sure. And that fits, I think, with the tone. You know, it's a more realistic mm, show. Sure. You know, it's a more realistic, yeah. realistic tone or depiction. So it, it's fitting that the robot is more it's not as fantastical as something like Get a Robo or Maginger. Yeah, You know, it's, mm-hmm. it is a more utilitarian-type device, you know, the three sections. So, um, yeah. yeah, I think that's quite good.
2: And um, Zamba 3, I mean, we were talking about this earlier, but um, I think he has a bit of a samurai vibe about him.
0: Definitely. You
2: know, because like, he has the sort of mouth guard, Yeah. Um, which kind of looks like the sort of helmet. He has, like, a sort of crescent moon-type shape. Yeah. Uh, because one of um, his attacks is the is the Zambot moon attack. Yeah. Where he kind of throws a sort of, like, moon-shaped energy projectile that sort of generally goes through the sort of enemy mega boost right through the middle. Yeah. And kind of takes it out. But it does kind of look like samurai armor, like his body. Mm. And he also has uh, two sides when he uses the Zambot grab move. Yeah. And he combines those into a big spear and obviously samurai's on horseback pretty, pretty uh, synonymous with using spears in battle.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And again, Okaru would use that sort of samurai theme with the design of the Gundam as well with the mm. with the you know the the yellow or gold um crescent on top of the head so I you know, know being it's, like there's a the lot past. of there's a lot of ideas which you could see kind of germinated in zambot mm. 3 that would go on and be used That's again right. through future um shows especially at sunrise you
2: can even uh, see a little bit of a similarity in the Beale ships to like White Base and yeah, the Bealgar and stuff uh, like
0: wholeheartedly, that. Yeah, the, the sort of They're circular. kind of like
2: flying aircraft carriers, yeah. really, aren't they?
0: And you in can a see the, the, the sort of circular shapes, the big flat boxes, and mm. the ang, you know, very angular with circular sections. Yeah, it's you're absolutely right. You can definitely you can definitely see that, um, that sure. there as well. One of the interesting things in in the fights against the Mecha Boost. Uh, between Zambot 3 and the Mecha Boosts. Um one of the things that gets established right in the first episode is they have to find the weakness You know, they, yeah, they don't so just really defeat point, them, yeah. they they have to find the weakness in the Mecha Boost
2: which again adds to the realism doesn't it yeah. it
0: does yeah, you can't just defeat them
2: yeah because I hate those, uh, I hate those um, types of episodes of Super Robot shows where they're like right well that didn't work, let's get out this way, <laughs> yeah. ok that didn't work, right suddenly it <laughs> explodes, ok that one worked then
0: <laughs> um You know, and it is a super robots show, so um Cape he calls out the the weapon he's about to use, yeah, and broadcasts it before uh, he starts using yeah. it, which I always think is a bit silly, but you know, it, it tells the audience what he's about to do, doesn't it?
2: Exactly, yeah. I mean, um he's got. A, I really like the sort of dynamic pose that uh the Zambot Three does when he <laughs> uses the Zambot blow, and he's got the spear, and he just has this sort of. Posing. I mean, obviously all Super Robot shows have a sort of pose, but yeah. that one's the coolest one for me, where he's sort of standing with a spear. Another thing I need to mention about poses and the way the robot looks when it's standing in a certain way is after the Zambot 3 combination, when you see him in mid-air after he's transformed, he has this quite awkward pose where he has his leg in a funny position.
1: Yeah.
2: And I, I kind of can't help but find that funny. It's like such a strange... It, it's strange that there was a conscious decision to think... Right, this is how he's going to be standing after this really dynamic transformation. He's going to be standing with his leg bent up slightly in a really awkward angle.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> it just you'd think they would do the traditional thing of having some cool pose after the transformation.
1: Yeah.
2: But it's just a kind of quite awkward. A bit
1: awkward,
0: look. yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> it's funny that I was kind of you know expecting him to like you know punch towards the screen or <laughs> wield a weapon or something like you know that sort of dynamic thing that uh, you get in Super Robot shows. <laughs>
0: um, I mean, we've you know we've talked very highly of Zambot 3. For here and, and mm-hmm. to be honest one of my sort of main criticisms of it is is in the battles because repeatedly through the the fights between zambot 3 and the mecha boost is you get a tentacled mecha boost who entangles yeah. zambot 3 and then electrocutes him and mm-hmm. it's probably used four maybe five times through the series and yeah. that by the third time i, I feel begins to feel Still very overused. repetitive and overused absolutely yeah
2: I mean, some of the Omega Boosts themselves have quite individual and quite creative designs Mm. for a show of the era. Yeah. But the fact that, you know, like you said, there's quite a few of them that have these kind of electric tentacles. Yeah. It does kind of get a little bit old when you see them getting grabbed and shocked for like the fourth or fifth time.
0: Yeah. And I think that's that sort of repetition, you know, is really one of the sort of my main criticisms of it as a as a robot show is that I think that's a bit of a legacy of super robot. I mean, There's only so many ideas you can come, come up with, can't you? Mm. And if you look at yeah. all the other Monster of the Week shows that come up, trying to have something original or different, I think probably became, by this point in 1977, probably became a really, really arduous task for the designers yeah. and the writers. It's like, how do you make it different? How do you not Absolutely. just make it another Monster of the Week show?
2: But one thing for me that I think is probably a factor in that is, you know, just how fast they produced a lot of these shows. yeah. You know, it's a problem with the industry now is that animators being overworked, and yeah. you know, you hear these horrible stories, you read these stories on the internet about, yeah. them,
1: you
2: know, being quite ill from the amount of work they do, and it possibly is a thing of, you know, just coming up with something in time.
0: Yeah. Really. Yeah. You know, absolutely. Yeah. Just having a deadline right. right. Yeah. What,
2: um, what sort of robot are we going to use this week?
0: <laughs> you know, and if you look at a company like Sunrise, you know, they were doing so much at the, you know, at the time. They really were. Well. Yeah. So yeah, it's, I can I can well imagine that. Um, the battles themselves, I think, are, are fairly standard. I don't think there's mm. anything particularly special about them. They're not bad, but I don't think they're particularly special
2: either. I think that the, the run, think that they sort of gear up a little bit, and the sort of you know the way they're sort of framed and like the the way they're animated a little bit towards the end, because it's the final battle. I think that some of them are a little bit more dynamic. Yeah. Like uh, like for example, um, there's a scene there towards the end of the show where. Um, Zamboth 3 sort of dives towards an enemy and he sort of he sort of hits downwards with the spear and sort of cleaves a big part through the yeah. a big uh, sort of section of the enemy ship.
1: Yeah.
2: And then as he goes through it, he sort of like causes damage to himself. Yeah. And sort of like you know I think one of his arms gets knocked off or something like that. Yeah, that's right. And back,
1: yeah.
2: And in those sections in that final battle when the stakes are like higher, I think that they do maybe animate them a little bit better and there's a few. Like sort of sections where they try and make them look a bit more artistic.
0: I think that bit, and I think, again, that fits in with the realism of the show. Um, mm. but, and I think maybe that is a, a good example. But I think as a whole, I don't I don't really feel it does anything yeah. special. No, I, I um, agree with you, I
2: agree with you. And I think if you look at what I mean, Tomino
0: was doing in Brave Redeem, I think he was starting to do a little bit of that and add that kind of dynamic sort of effect to it. Yeah, I think, and I think that's a very good, I think that... Ends the final battle very well, and again, if you look at, again, using Idion as a good example, he would kind of build, he would take that a step further would, at yeah. the end of Idion. Um, definitely, so, yeah. So I think he had, I think he's definitely got the eye for it, maybe more so than the sort of more traditional um, super robot directors at yeah. the time. So yeah, I think that, I think that's a really good point.
2: One another thing, just regarding the, uh, the fights, I'm not sure if this was like a deliberate attempt to be subversive and kind of funny. Or whether it was just something that is just there because they wrote it that way. But yeah. there's a scene where during one of the final battles where they send a Mega Boost out. Yeah. And the music's really dramatic yeah. and it tells you the Mega Boost title and everything. And it's kind of gearing up for it to be like a real threat. And then Zambo 3 destroys it like 20 yeah. seconds later. <laughs> <laughs> all that build up is just—it's almost like a gag. It's like <laughs> yeah. you thought this was going to be some sort of badass killer robot. But it just wipes it out almost immediately. Yeah. But that might yeah. be something to do with the fact that it's getting towards the end of the series. The yeah. ramping up of the drama, yeah, and he wanted to just kind of show the fact that Cap is quite accomplished by that point. Yeah,
0: absolutely, yeah, because as so we so it thought, could before, be
2: that, but it was kind of funny.
0: Yeah, because as he, <laughs> as we said, you know, he develops and he gets better and stronger as a pilot. So, um, yeah, again, it, it was all it all kind of fits, doesn't it? Mm. Definitely. Um. <laughs> So now, if you have a look at the production values of Zambot 3, it is a 1977 Super Robot Show. Mm-hmm. I think animation, I think is on par for that era.
2: I was just going to say, like though many people find the animation a bit dated. I mean, we've got a lot more experience in watching all the shows yeah. than a lot of people who are coming to anime these days.
0: I mean, I wouldn't say the animation's bad in it. I think characters have movement and fluidity. You know, it's mm. not too jerky. There's not overuse yeah. of still images or anything like that. But I mean, yeah, there's in some fact, really I would
2: say only, only still still images only turn up about like more than halfway through the series. I would yeah. say.
1: It's,
2: it's quite a way in before you see any use of stills.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's some obvious shortcuts where you see crowd scenes and you just kind of see a block of color with circles and stuff to represent yeah, people. I mean, there's a lot there's thing, a lot yeah. of shortcuts like that. But generally, mm. where it matters. Like the the fights between Zambo and whatever Mecha Boost, I think generally are quite well animated. Um, yeah, i, would I think say so. I mean, there's there's quite a lot of fluidity and, and movement in it.
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that the kind of as I mentioned in a previous uh, point, um, when it's when there's like something that's a bit more important, like you know, if it's like a sort of pivotal battle or something, yeah. you tend to kind of pull out the stops a little bit more, and there's a bit more kind of these seem to be put in a little bit more detail. Character deaths and, like, other things like that, you know, there's, like, there's scenes where they're shaded in a different way. Yeah. And, you know, like, if there's, like, an explosion and, you know, you see there's still, like, a close-up of somebody's face.
1: Yeah.
2: Before they're, like, taken out or something, that tends to be drawn in a slightly different style to kind of highlight that.
1: Yeah,
0: absolutely. I I would say,
2: like, you know, trying to kind of make it that little bit more sort of um, stand, stand out more, really.
0: Yeah, and it doesn't appear to kind of go off model that often as well. I think as even shows much later, Slayers is one that comes to mind, which constantly goes off model. Um, mm. You know, and it's very
2: jarring when you know you have great art one minute where the characters look fantastic, and then the next, you know, it's like remarkably off model to a point where it's noticeable, even if it's like even if it's just a small frame.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think Zanbot Three, it, it, it so. looks it's consistent in its look, if nothing else. It is. It's not fantastic. I yeah. so I don't think it's terribly animated. As I say there are a lot of shortcuts, but it's not great. But it is at least consistent. Um, all the characters yeah. look consistent throughout all 23 episodes, um, which I think is mm-hmm. quite a credit.
2: There's a couple of um, there's a couple of like uh, Shingo's gang who have slightly. Different character designs. would say, look, maybe a little bit more cartoonish.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: there's the
2: guy who kind of looks a bit like a rock, rock and roll greaser with his big hair and everything. Yeah, yeah. And then there's um. There's a the guy with the big flat. Yeah,
0: he's yeah, the one with the big flat mouth, Kendra, isn't he? Yeah, yeah he's always he's talking out the side of stuff. his mouth.
2: Yeah. That's right. Yeah, like his mouth sort of sticks out from the side, and uh, you know that's um, he he actually seems to get the kind of most like dialogue and sort of characterization out mm. of Shingles Gang, so he does kind of stand out quite a bit because he doesn't quite. There's, there are some scenes with him in uh, some of the um, Human Bomb episodes. Yeah. They're, they're, like, quite memorable. But, um, but yeah, that is a very strange design, the way his kind of lips are sort of, like, out to the yeah. side. But I've
0: actually they're seen that Ken-
2: quite often. Generally, though, you're right, it is pretty consistent, like, you know, 95% of the time.
0: But Kent's design, though, I have seen in numerous other anime through the 80s. It's not something <laughs> I've seen, I would say, I've seen from the 90s onwards, but definitely in 80s. <laughs>
2: Oh, um, yes. other 80 yeah. anime
0: I've seen I've seen that character design
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, quite often
2: oh, yeah, I'm sure I've seen some similar sort of designs I was just meaning in terms of like you know the the characters in this those particular two shingles yeah out
0: but they them, do yeah. stand out yeah particularly and I think that's mm-hmm. quite good because at least they don't all look the same there's there is yeah, variety exactly, in the yeah. character design the other thing I mean apart from the transformation sequence actually there isn't a great deal of stock footage in Zambot 3
2: yeah it's a good point um,
0: I mean, I've seen a lot of other later shows will have a far greater use of stock footage than than what I've seen in Zambot Three. I mean, the transformation and some of the um, weapons things are always going to be, you know, yeah, stock footage. But beyond that, there's actually very, very little other stock yeah, footage throughout the throughout the series, which was a real surprise, given that it's a you know it's a low budget 70s superhero yeah, exactly. show.
2: I mean, like you say, I mean, being the Sunrises kind of first. Sort of big independent production, I guess uh, they could have made a lot more, did, mm, they have done, have done a lot more short, shortcuts,
0: you know, more shortcuts. So, uh, so um, as we mentioned in in the intro, Tamino re teamed up with uh, Yoshikazu Yasuhiro again for the character designs.
2: And you can see um, Yaz, as they call him, um, you, you can see uh, some of his sort of reoccurring character qualities. One thing that I noticed about it is that the uh, flight suits that all the family wear, well, particularly. Um, you know, Tuda, Cape and uh, and Keiko, uh, they look a lot like the Crusher jackets from Crusher Joe.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Have that sort of yeah. same
2: style, like the kind of block sort of pattern that looks a bit yes. like a bandolier. Um, and I just that just stood out it was because I had actually just watched like the Crusher Joe movie <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: only about like a month before watching this. Yeah. So it's just fresh in my mind, you know. It maybe would be the sort of thing that wouldn't necessarily stand out otherwise, but that that did kind of it was at the forefront of my mind.
0: And I think they're almost exactly the same colours as well, aren't they?
2: Yeah, the certainly there's. Uh, I, I can't uh, picture red, the red, blue, and yellow, yellow. I think, or something, isn't it? That's right. Yeah, yeah, I, you're quite right. it is not I that. think
0: it is almost identical color color schemes mm-hmm. as well.
2: It'd be interesting to know about the uh, the origin of that because the the thing is is that I know that Yaz did the uh, covers of the uh, novels, didn't he? But I'm not sure mm-hmm. if the nov- if if he drew those covers after the anime design or not.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm not sure either. Actually, that's a good mm-hmm. thing. Be interesting to find that out. And the thing is, I think they're very Yaz character designs, aren't they? I think they're yeah, yeah. like yeah. Capet and, and Heiserman and and all those characters. I think they Yaz has a very sort of defined style and, and it's quite apparent in Zambut 3.
2: Mm. Certainly, yeah. He likes his sort of like uh, Amaro style hairstyles, doesn't he? He does. Shingo's got, <laughs> kind of, got that same sort of uh, bonnet, hasn't he? Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, we should also talk about the music a little bit yeah, as well. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely, yeah. The music's pretty varied for for sure of jo- this age, I would say. Yeah. You know, the opening theme's very sort of catchy in. Yeah. It's if, uh, very kind of punchy. I'm trying, I'm trying to describe it. It's it's very it's like a lively theme, isn't it? Really? It is
0: quite a lively theme.
2: As, as the moment where it goes, zam, 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 yeah. zam, zam. zam. <laughs> and it's,
0: tack it onto this, hopefully by now you might have already heard it, so you know what we're talking yeah. about. <laughs> um but it's yeah i think it's very it sounds like very 70s sunrise to me mm-hmm. if you listen to like gundam's opening theme and idion's opening theme you know if you look at that bit from the late i mean if you look at brave radine and and stuff like um mm-hmm. Deiton, it it does have that quite a similar sound to it but I actually yeah. i do think the music as a whole for example three is very good yeah. Um,
2: I think it's um the the battle themes are really good, like you know yeah. the the reoccurring battle music you get. Yeah. I like the one that's got the kind of sort of funk style riffing. Yeah. yeah. It's got that sort of uh you know, that kind of that, that sort of um the, the kind of opening sort of guitarlic that yeah. sounds very like the intro to some really excessively long like seventies funk song. Yeah, it does. Yeah. <laughs> but the- And it's also got uh that, that track that has the kind of um I would say almost like a almost sort of B-movie-ish, like, yes. noise in it, where it goes... Yeah, whee- yeah. <laughs> so it kind of sounds like something out of a 50s kind of uh, alien <laughs> invasion movie. Or something.
0: It is. It has got that B-movie <laughs> sort of feel to it. But I think the music that's often used, like, at the end of the episodes, where you quite mm-hmm. often ending in a, as we've said, you know, a lot of these episodes end in very sombre or happy,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, moods. You know, that's, And I think the music they use for that fits... It does. The mood of the scene, or the or how the scene's playing out, really, really well, and I think that is probably the best example of music um, used like that through anything I've probably seen through the seventies, if I'm honest.
2: Yeah, it's it's quite a kind of sort of uplifting song about sort of uh, you know going into space and the future and yeah. mankind kind of like a prevailing sort of thing.
0: Because there's a lot of heavy, heavy emotion throughout the series. You know, mm. it's like we've said, it's dark, and the characters go for an awful lot. And the and the music mm. just magnifies it. And I think you, and I think you end up, you know, you really feel for these characters because you know you do. there's these really somber or you know down music or tragic or mm. sort of a music that creates a sense of foreboding, which you often get mm. at the end of episodes because you know the next terrible things gonna happen because yeah. things are just getting more and more terrible for them as yeah, you know, they go If
2: you're an episode especially if you're an episode preview watcher, you know, there's like hints <laughs> of the horrors to come.
0: Don't watch the episode previews. <laughs> Ever watch yeah, a... Oh man, on. it's I mean I stopped <laughs> I stopped watching them a long, long time ago. I, I I had something completely spoiled for me years and years ago and I and I stopped <laughs> I just stopped watching them and you know, Zambot three is terrible. It's um you know it's and I don't know why they do it. Um, but they give away such such key you things. They do.
2: often give away a lot of key things. I mean, I, I remember seeing, uh, there's quite a lot of like um, movie trailers for sort of animated uh, films that made it to the theater that have uh, pretty big spoilers in them. Yeah. Uh, I've noticed over the years. Uh, also, um, sometimes they even title the episodes with spoilery titles. Yeah, you know? I know. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, there's quite a few series I can think of where the death of a major character is just
0: in the episode title. Yeah, and I think even um, I think even Zambot Three suffers from that a little bit. I think some of the mm. some of the titles do kind of give a little bit too much away. A
2: little bit away, yeah. Um, so if you're interested in kind of seeing, you know, the sort of previews and how they fit in with the episode and whether they accurately describe the episode, maybe watch those later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I,
1: yeah.
2: I tend to like watching the ones that are in character or like humorous, you know, yeah. those sorts of ones. Like I think of the Cowboy Bebop ones where mm, they're in character. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Some of those are quite funny,
0: but a lot of these, a lot of these shows, through I find, like Dugram, is a is another classic. A um, penultimate episode preview for the final episode completely gives away all the key points in the final episode. It's almost not worth watching the final episode because that 30 <laughs> seconds gives it all away. It's that was the funny.
2: one you were referring to, wasn't
0: it? The one yeah. that broke it for you. <laughs> yeah, well that will. No, actually I got warned about that one. Um, oh you go got yeah I, him, right? I, I, I'd read something that said you know talking about doing it says do not watch the, the last episode ep- last ep- you know penultimate episode you warned me
2: about that because I haven't actually seen Dougram yeah you, like, like, like terrible for it
0: I, I think actually I think earlier in Dougram was possibly where what put me off watching them actually i think it was some other things early in the episode where it completely gave it away and it's like oh it's like oh it's, it's like broadcast that like, that's gonna happen you watch the episode and you thought oh well, that's the main point of the episode so i think i'll stop watching them after that and then yeah it might have really even been fun? the fan subber said when it did when he put that episode up whatever it is episode <laughs> 70 and he, and he i think he stated in that yeah i think it, that's right it was the fans hub I said, Do not watch the the uh, next episode preview in this episode. <laughs> and I watched episode the last episode, then went back and watched the next episode preview and it was like, Thank God I didn't watch that <laughs> So and Zone Three I think it suffers a little bit from that as well, so yeah, don't it does, yeah. you know, if you watch this I
2: think it is a common thing in the era though. Yeah,
0: I think it's very common. And it still
2: is today, and to, to, to to a degree. A degree
0: yeah, so it's. It, I, I don't like that. I do. I do tend to find it spoils <laughs> the show. Um, but as a whole, I think comparing it, Zambot Three, to other shows of the era, I think it's on a par. Mm-hmm. I don't think it it stands out for anything in particular. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I think I've seen a lot cheaper looking um, yeah. robot shows and and stuff through the through the seventies. So uh, yeah, I think it was good sort of middle in um production values
2: mm-hmm. yeah i i agree i mean i think that uh, the soundtrack certainly mm. um is, is better than the average super robot yeah I, I definitely so, agree
0: with that i think it's got a very very me. good soundtrack really really has yeah. got a good soundtrack and and the way it's used as well um i think yeah is, it's is used very,
2: often to really good effect really yeah, good definitely.
0: effect yeah you know, we said at the beginning, we talk about where Zambot 3 kind of sits mm-hmm. in, in Super Robot. Within
2: the context, in the context, of,
0: the context genre, yeah. of the genre. Mecha anime started with uh, Tetsujin 28. And the modern formula for what became most of the Super Robot anime uh, through the 70s mm-hmm. and into the early 80s, it really started with uh, Majinga C. So mm-hmm. before that, um, the original Kamen Rider series actually set the uh, template shadowy organization sends a monster Mm -hmm. of the week to you know a super team that fights it yeah the hero thing that template or that formula was created in Kamen Rider in 1971 and then Mm -hmm. Majinga Z was the first robot show although it wasn't the first to to actually take that formula and and treat it in a mecha show because there's only really Mm -hmm. been two mecha shows before that there was Tetsujin 28 and Mm -hmm. then Astro Ganger*. Um, yeah. But they were um, remote-controlled robots. They weren't.
2: That's right. The, you know, the, the, that's right. The pilot wasn't inside the robot. Of course, uh, that was something. I mean, is that correct? Me if I'm wrong, was that not something that Go Nagai kind of pioneered in general? A lot of the shows are like that, aren't they? Yeah, so, and
0: that Go Nagai actually—he was. You're absolutely right. The pioneer of that. He—he'd um, he'd actually used the Monster of the Week formula with Devilman, which actually aired before uh, Majinga did. Uh, but mm-hmm. then Majinga was the robot That's show the kid, that
2: the kid-friendly Devilman. We should point out the yeah. sort of superhero Devilman, not the. <laughs> yeah. don't want the manga's based. That it was based on the manga, yeah. <laughs>
0: um, but then Majinga, and, and that set the template and created effectively what was the. Um, each episode was a 20-minute toy commercial that all started, mm-hmm. and that grew through the early 70s. And in this period where Zambot Three sits in in 1976 and 1977 there were 14 super robot shows released wow. by various studios i mean that was kind of like the peak of production so i think you had yeah. i think you had about 5 in 1975 and then you had a, a couple in the 70s so you had majinga which kind mm-hmm. of set the the template and then another go nagai show get a robo in 1974 mm-hmm. then set the the whole combining robot thing that that sure. set that trend. Um, mm-hmm. Seventy-five Brave Redeem set the world building because before then it shows it been very very episodic, um, yeah, and and not really built on anything. But Brave Redeem mm-hmm. actually introduced the concept of developing the world, and then I think mm-hmm. you know where you see the seventies ending with Gundam and mm-hmm. you know the whole
2: a lot of the the real the old, robot
0: sort of formula taking off. Yeah, you know you can see. Zambot 3 being very, very pivotal yeah, in, that, in that whole history.
2: Yeah, it feels like the kind of, you know, the sort of evolutionary step between the two.
0: It does, yeah.
2: So, so yeah, I mean, we did mention previously, didn't we, that uh, there's a couple of design elements that Gundam and uh, Zambot share. The fact that yeah. both the uh, White Base and the Argama have similarities with Beale, uh, King Beale, that is, yeah. the sort of combined form, uh, and the way the shape of them, they basically yeah. the kind of mobile aircraft carrier thing, like a spaceship aircraft carrier combination sort of thing
0: absolutely and you know as we said hybrid that's it and you know we've talked about the mecha designs you know with Zambul and the gun tank and you know the, the, mm-hmm. the, the samurai elements of both Zambot 3 and the Gundam yeah. so you know and it was the same effectively the same crew that created Zambot then went on and created Gundam mm-hmm. so the whole depiction of war the tone yeah. all that realism put on a much bigger solar system um, yeah and there's sort of a lot of more
2: politics in Gundam you know there's yeah. obviously a lot more kind of you know they're seeing how sort of you know the stuff about the colonies and the yeah. Zabi family and all that sort of stuff which is not something that you know is, has any sort of place in a show like Xander 3 it's all just about the yeah. struggles of the family of the Geizox, So,
0: Zambot 3 is definitely a, you know in that whole history of all the mecha genre mm-hmm. it's it's definitely a very very pivotal show it was definitely a turning point where you could see stuff starting to head off towards the real robot formula, sorry. Because really, by the early 80s, Godmars uh, was really the last of the traditional super robot shows to air. You know, you, um, Baxinger and there was a few other stuff. The Brave series are essentially super robot shows. But the end of that, you had that decade from Majinga Z to Godmars, as that period of the real period Keirly of the super close. robot. Yeah, and it kind of came to a close because if you look at everything that was coming out in the early 80s, then with Votomes, with Macross, um, mm-hmm. you know, all those shows started to take on sure. that real robot formula, really. Yeah,
2: absolutely. So we should talk about our final thoughts and, uh, and sort of uh, wrap up with our opinions on the
0: show. Yeah, absolutely. So um, building on everything we've said so far, And especially about the start of the show, Um, Mm -hmm. the first episode we've established, you know, is a pretty decent first episode. Sets the stories, sets the main characters and everything off. Mm -hmm. And what I really like is that the next three episodes, up to episode four, continues to sort of introduce the characters and the mecha and the vehicles piece by piece. So episode Mm -hmm. two you get Uchita and Keiko. Episode three you get King Bill. And then Zambot Three doesn't actually appear until Episode Four, so I like yeah. the fact that it's it's taking its time to introduce and establish everything, rather than like a lot of Mecha shows, sure. you know, just crash everything in and get the title Mecha mm-hmm. in in the first episode. And and I think that just you know just builds the story up at a, a really nice it pace. Does,
2: yeah, it really does. I mean, I love the way that um, you know in the first episode we only have. Um, you know, Zambird and Zambo Ace and you get a bit of an idea of what Zambo Ace's abilities are and stuff. Yeah. Then then we get Zambul uh, Zambo and Zambase and then the combination. And so while we're we're getting this introduction to the mecha and all the things that they can do separately and then together, we also get introductions to the characters and the pilots as well. And it spends yeah. the right amount of time building that mythology. It does. About the family and also about the planet Beale as well. Yes,
0: and you get all that backstory, and it's just it's just really really well paced, I think. And it, mm, you know, it's definitely. a great great introduction to the show. And then getting to the ending, you know, after we've talked about the human bomb arc, and then you get into the ending, and that escalates, you know, the fight against Butcher and then against the Geizok Master, mm-hmm. and they ultimately defeat. I mean, that really builds up. You know, there's a very very heavy body count. This is the show where Tamino got his killer moniker from, um, mm. you know, and it's very evident. And that hadn't really been seen before. That you know, no. really heavy body count of the uh, the main uh, characters. It was really kind of interesting to see that, but it fits with the story. It does, yeah. And I think throughout the whole story, I think as a whole, I think it just works really well. Yeah. I think it's really well paced. It's twenty three episodes, so it's not too long, but there just isn't. Mm really a missed beat story-wise uh, throughout right. throughout the whole thing, I think.
2: You know, it's like we previously mentioned, sometimes episodes that might seem initially like they're going to look a little bit throwaway turn out not to be.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think... I think you're right. I don't think there is a throwaway episode anywhere through Zambot 3 at all. Mm. I think it does pretty much everything else. It is a super robot show, but as we talked about in its context, you know, for me, if you exclude Mobile Suit Gundam, where... To me, though know, mm-hmm. you know changed the history of mecha robot from there. If you look at anything seventies from the seventies pre Gundam, I think mm-hmm. Zambot Three is the absolute peak of robot yeah. animation pre Gundam. I, I really do. I think it is. It is certainly my favourite pre Gundam super robot show. There sure. was a lot of good stuff out there, but Zambot Three I think is just it is just on a different level completely. I mean,
2: I've not seen uh, quite as many uh, super robot shows as, as you have. But um, but certainly, among all the ones that I've seen, uh, I would certainly rate definitely Head and Shoulders above the rest in terms of the storytelling.
1: Yeah, completely. You know, it's,
2: like there's, as we said, there's not a disposable episode. Um, the sort of mythology is handled really well. The characters are really good. They're really convincingly written. You know, I, I feel like um, a lot of the sort of emotions and the things that they say uh, just feel very true to life. And yeah. the whole... The whole sort of depiction of the struggles and, you know, the emotional side of things just feels very, very kind of uh, well depicted.
0: Yeah, completely. I mean, it's been I first saw this over 10 years ago and I've had probably an 11, 12 year gap between the first time I watched it. And mm. I think it stood up very, very well. I've seen an awful lot of other robot anime in that period. And going back sure. to it for a very old show, I think it stood up incredibly well. And I think it, yeah. you know, and it is right up there even against some of the other classics you know which, you know this show is about the golden age of mm. mecha anime and even through that sure. golden age through the 80s through all your votomes and gundams and macrosses and and all the other stuff that came out I, you know it still carries itself very very well it's right up at yeah, the top it completely
2: it definitely holds up very well i mean although there are a couple of sp- the flaws that i think they're quite they're quite small flaws you know like we talked about some of the Slightly, uh, the humour being slightly at odds with yeah. the series. A couple of other little small things, but really none of those sort of have put me off in any way.
1: Yeah,
2: I mean, I really think that every every fan of sort of Mega and Super Robot anime should definitely give it a chance.
1: Yeah, even definitely. just to
2: see where it fits into the genre and how it evolved things.
0: Yeah,
2: uh, not only for that, but certainly there's there's a really good story in there too. So yeah, it's it's definitely a must see uh, for me.
0: I completely agree. It's it's a complete recommendation and. You know, if we start talking about ratings, for me, it's a 9. And what I would say prevents it getting a 10 is Mm -hmm. Butcher as a character. I think he's a bit Mm -hmm. silly. And as we said, you've just said, and we've discussed in some depth through the review, is that the the silliness throughout Zambot 3 sits at odds sometimes. um, Mm -hmm. And it really sort of mixes the tone and the other things, you know, some of the repetitive in the Mecha boosts,
2: mm-hmm.
0: it Super Robot Legacy is is very very evident in that. Even yeah, it's that not really so a sort of real robot show, even though it has that storytelling. It fundamentally mm-hmm. is based on Super Robot background. For me, it's it's a nine, it's a recommendation. It's not perfect, but it is very very good. And I think anyone who's interested in the genre should definitely definitely check out Zambot Three.
2: I'm pretty uh, pretty close to you on the rate, now I went with an eight point five. I think yeah like eight and a half for me yeah. But again my you know my reasons for that are very much the same. Uh, you know the stuff to do with uh, sort of butchering the comedy and stuff. So, but it, I mean considering the age of the show, you know, I think yeah. it holds up remarkably well. uh, for a sort of
0: you know a piece of sort of anime that's like 40 years old. Yeah, it is it's four it's 40 its 40 years old. So I th- I think it stood up very very well over that time. I don't think a lot of other super robot shows from that period you know as we said there were 14 shows released just in that two-year period and i don't think really many of them have stood up and Mm. and are still kind of talked about like zambot 3 has talked about so that brings us to the end of our review of zambot 3 that's been a really good discussion craig I've, i've really really enjoyed that reviewing that with thanks, you
2: thanks me too just uh really great to actually get around to the show finally after hearing the, hearing a lot about it and it's kind of place in uh in mega history yeah
0: it's a good show so um yeah and i have really enjoyed the uh, last couple of hours of talking about it in depth it's been that's Definitely, been a really yeah. good uh, discussion okay so um next time we're going to review Ryusuke takahashi's panzer world gallant we're going to do the tv series and the three ovas that followed it you can find us on Twitter at RetroMecha. Mecca. Uh, you can email us retromechapodcast at gmail You can find the podcast on SoundCloud, ITunes and Stitcher. Craig, tell us where we can find you and your blog. You can catch me on Twitter at Animeheads
2: Retro and you can also um, check out my blog on AnimeHeadsRetroWorld.com.
0: dot You can find my other podcast, Retro Anime Podcast on Twitter at RetroAnime. You can find the website, retroanimepodcast.com. So that completely wraps us up, Craig. Been a good one? Yep. Take it easy. Bye. Bye. Bye, everyone. The opening and closing theme music to the podcast is Molten Alloy from Purple Planet Music. All other music used within the podcast is copyrighted to its respective creators.